righty, episode 238. We're going to be braving it on this episode. I, I thought about canceling it. Braving it? Yes. Because it's so hot in here? Yeah, it's kind of hot in here. It's a little warm, yes. And you Malaria took a, a shot at my schnoz <laughs> before you had even sat down in your chair. <laughs> yeah. You hadn't I, even gotten your jacket or your, not your jacket, your... your um, hooded sweatshirt? Hoodie? Your hoodie off. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did, yeah. And then I took a shot at the stupid smoke alarm. It's, uh, yeah, I got Change the battery. It, it takes no. two seconds. <laughs> we like the chirp. Oh, it drives me nuts. The chirp. The chirp will be around oh. for a couple of months. At You'll least. see me in my house on a chair, like waiting for it. Is it that one? Is it that one? I obsess over it. I can't stand that noise. Well, we've got a writer's strike that we're trying to get through here. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't know that we could pull off a Mitch Unfiltered without our writing staff. That's right, yeah. Oh, Pete Davidson's outside giving him pizzas that's and everything. <laughs> yes, we're outside yes. of our house right now, congregating on strike with signs and shit so i don't know it's gonna be a tough show yeah. it may not sound as bright intelligent articulate funny polished polished as yeah. it normally does because of the writer's strike wait till you hear the headlines you think they suck normally wait till this episode oh lord <laughs> yeah well i want to start by telling you one thing okay I can see her lying back in her satin dress in a room where you do what you don't confess. Sundown, you better take care. If I find you've been creeping round my back stairs, she's been looking like a queen in a sailor's dream, and she don't always say what she really means. Sometimes I think it's a shame when I get feeling better when I'm feeling no pain. 84 years old. Now you wonder. See, I didn't have to write that. That was already written for me. It's true. Now you got to <laughs> pay for it, for God's sakes. Now you got to pay for the goddamn I gotta thing. I got to send his family money. <laughs> yeah. He passed away at age 84. I didn't figure we wanted to wait to RIP. We probably could have waited. But I like Gordon Lightfoot. I really, Did you? Yeah. I, I don't know Gordon Lightfoot. I mean, I know From the a hits. hole in the wall. I don't know. I don't know how many songs. I, I know that song. So that's why I decided to sing a few verses. I bet he's you. got four that you know. That I know? Yeah. Or that everybody knows? Like that everyone knows. Oh. Yeah. My favorite is... If you could read my mind, oh, love. Is that him? Sure, that's him. Oh, yeah, that's a What cool a one. tale my thoughts could tell. Yeah. His voice just like booms out at you. It's such yeah. a cool voice, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, that he wrote that about his divorce. It's kind of a heart wrenching song. If you so, go back and listen to no, it. No, I don't. I don't want to hear heart wrenching. I'm not in the mood for heart wrenching. But it's it's a good song though. It's called "If You Could Read My Mind." Yes. And then he's also got uh, the wreck of the Edmonds Fitzgerald, which is like the most depressing song in the history of songs. Are all his songs depressing? Well, the hits. Carefree Highway. <laughs> Carefree Highway is not depressing. That's a great one. I love. Carefree. Would I know Carefree Highway? Yeah, I think you would. Eighty-four years old, Gordon Lightfoot. It reminds me of that Richard Jenny bit. You know Richard Jenny, the comic. I know. Little guy. Is he? He didn't die, did he? Come on, you're being. No, I didn't know that. The little guy? Yeah, he committed suicide like oh a long time ago. Oh my god, I thought he was still alive. He's hilarious, but he Well, he was hilarious. He, yes. Yeah, but he, he did a bit about that song Wreck of the Edmonds. Do you know what it's about that song? It's no. about a big ship that goes down. Like the saddest song, most depressing song of all time, but it's about a shipwreck. And like tons of like 90% oh. of people died, I'm I'm guessing, but I know like it's about Oh my god. So Richard Jenny has a bit about like if you want to get people out of your house for a party, just put on the wreck of the Edmonds Fitzgerald. And they'll all be like, you know, by the time I get home, burn down the house, kill the family. It's getting late. I got to get out of here. You know, and he, he made up lyrics. He was funny, Richard Jenner. He, he made up lyrics. And the wave hit the boat and they all died like rats. And they laid there and their lungs filled with water. 
And back on the shore, their wives had no insurance and their kids turned to drugs and prostitution. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that bit. Hilarious. Mitch Unfiltered available on all podcast platforms now that we've started in a musical way. <laughs> Subscribe and rate us, please, on Apple. We need some new reviews, some five-star ratings. If you can take the time, like Sports Mom 103, a shout-out to Sports Mom 103. Let's go. Five stars she gave us. Good. Great, she wrote. The best local sports coverage and interviews are always interesting and a good range of topics. So if you could give us a five-star review yep. on Apple Podcasts like Sports Mom 103 did, I'd appreciate that. Also, it's time to become a patron, ladies and gentlemen. Cracking No Table. We're recording this before Wee. a couple of hours before game number three between the stars and the Kraken. So if you want to hear the Kraken note table after every playoff game, you need to be a patron. And you can do so by going to MitchUnfiltered.com. It's the first time I think ever my wife has asked me what time a game starts and then said, I'm so excited to watch that. Like, really? The Super Bowl, the Seahawks are in it. She's in the kitchen, dicking her, you know, <laughs> keeps an eye on it, you know. But hey, Kraken, like, you were caught listening to the Kraken no table. What are you doing listening to the Kraken no table? Yeah, I have to police you sometimes, you know. I got to. You were listening to the Kraken <clears throat> no Since when do you listen to patron shows? Well, it's called quality control. I want to make sure if I attach my name <laughs> to something that it's, you know. What, what, what are you attached to? Well, with the, the Mitch Unfiltered. Oh, I sit here, it's part oh, of the I umbrella. See. Okay. You know, I listen to them all just to Come make sure on. that I'm not going to get embarrassed. Why were by you listening to the, the Kraken shit you guys put out? You know, um, <laughs> no, no, I, I, it's pretty good. The Kraken, it is no good, table. and I feel like I learned. That's the whole point of yeah. it. Yeah, it's totally educational. Yeah, I mean, as it's little, an educational experience each as, time. As little as you know, I know less. I mean, it's like I don't know anything about hockey. I don't hockey know anything or the about game. hockey. How could you know less than I know? <laughs> well, you've been doing this impossible. for a while. You should know a little. No, bit. No, I know nothing about it. Okay. Hockey. Anyway, I enjoyed it. The Kraken note table is just part of the the patron experience. Mariners note tables, puffery with Dan O'Neill, uh, shooting the shit with Slick. Five dollars a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. If you can't legitimately swing the five dollars, just let me know. Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. I was gonna read emails and then I thought I looked at them. I was like, this week's crops not so good. So I thought, you know, I always like to play little contests with you in the other stuff segment. Sure. And I've got two this week. Two little contests, little okay. game shows. So I thought I'd move one up to the top here while we're warming up and leave the other one for the other stuff segment. Okay, let's like, go. Like, I'll tell you what the name of the other stuff contest that I'm going to play with you is. It's called, Why is Buda Baker Calling Out a First Round Draft Pick's Father? God, who okay. knows? Okay. Okay. You're going to have fun with that. All right. I all promise right. you'll have fun with that contest. The game show is called Why? Don't look it up. Yeah, Why is Buddha Baker calling out a first round draft choice's father? That's going to be in the other stuff segment. This segment of what I thought we'd play is a little, uh, a little fill in the blank. Okay. Okay. Let's go. This is a true story from Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville newspapers all over this story. I certainly hope you don't know the story. Because if you know the story, it'll ruin the bit. There's a good chance I do, because I have a story out of Tennessee. You do? I do. About what? A hotel. Oh. Crap, really? Oh. Yes. I mean, that's what oh. I do. I look for shit like this. Oh. I mean, this is my life with the You podcast. killed the show. Yeah. I thought I killed it by singing at the top. Now you're killing the show. <laughs> Who said I you can't didn't? Even do, I, and I had it all set up. I was going to give you four multiple choice, and I was betting that you would not have been able to come up with it. I'll act like I don't know. 
I was going to say an evening manager of a Nashville, Tennessee hotel was arrested after he snuck into a guest's room, a man's room, not a woman's room, a man's room, and did what? Yeah. Got him a new remote. And I was going to give you four choices, and here were the four choices. I I was very strategic on my four choices. I I was going to say, A, sucked on his toes while he was sleeping. B, he broke in. (laughs) This is what you guys do up here, Jesus. (laughs) Urinated in his empty suitcase. C, used his toiletries, including brushing his teeth with the guest's toothbrush. And D, Climbed into the other double bed in the room after stripping down to his underwear. I thought that those were four very, like, if you didn't know the story, yeah. I don't think you would have gotten it right. They're all on par with each other. Is like equally disturbing. You yes. did a nice job. Yeah. Oh, I worked like for hours on this. <laughs> I mean, the toothbrush one. I called one, the writers. The writers were on strike. Yeah. So I did this all by myself. The toothbrush one isn't quite a 10 like the rest would be. To me, it's like an eight, you know, but nonetheless. If you didn't know the story, which one would you have chosen? So it's urinating in the suitcase, toe sucking, toe sucking, manager of an of a Hilton hotel, Nashville Hilton hotel, got arrested for breaking into a a, a man's room. He actually set up a key in the whole thing. Yeah, and he did what? Sucked on his toes while he was sleeping, Uh urinated in his empty suitcase, used his toiletries, including his toothbrush, or climbed into the other double bed after stripping down to his underwear. Which one, w- or is it impossible for you to know because you know the answer to the story? I can tell you that the answer would have been my last selection, honestly. See, that I was going to have you rank him. I was going to yeah. feel so much pride. It's, it's true. I was going to tell the writers just to go take a hike and forget it. I'm not going to do a deal <laughs> with you because I'm doing a better job than you ever did. Yeah, I mean, I think peeing in the suitcase is up there for me. Maybe he was drunk or yeah. who knows, right? Yeah. He just stumbled yeah. into a room. Yeah. And yeah. So that probably would have been number one. I mean, yes. Using his toothbrush, I know that grosses a lot of people out. Yes. It's not real. I don't think you would brought it to the table for that. So I'd probably go peeing in suitcase would be my first guess. Crawling into the other bed in his underpants or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, what was uh, the third, third one? Toothbrush. Yeah. Urinating in the empty suitcase. Yeah, and then yeah. the fourth one was sucking. The fourth one is what it is. It's improbable. Su- he was sucking on the guy's toes when the guy woke up yeah. in the middle of the night at the Hilton Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And my favorite part of the story, I don't know which which version of the story you read. I read the New York Post version, and it says, and I quote, The guest told police he woke up to Neil's mouth around his toes and immediately confronted him. Now, wouldn't it be impossible to wake up to somebody sucking your toes without immediately confronting them? How do you not? I mean, do you yeah, wake just up? Roll over. Do you roll over? Yeah. Do you wake up, get out of the bed, and, and give them the cold shoulder, go to the bathroom? How do you not right. confront somebody when they're sucking on your toes and you wake up in the middle of the night? Well, that was weird. I'm just going to roll over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, something tells me most people will confront the person well, I, doing that. I, I don't know that you can physically not confront the person because you are in bed and he's sucking your toes. You're yeah. right there. Hey, you have to confront him. You saw the mugshot? Yeah, I did see the mugshot, yeah. I hate to judge people, but... Don't judge him. He did it. I mean, there's just no way... He looks like the guy that would do that. I hate to judge did people. Did you hear what his alibi is? I I have his one excuse? of them that's part of a joke at the end, so yes. Oh, I won't... Then You don't want me to... It's fine. He said he was smelling smoke or something, that that's there was right. a fire, and then he put together a key. He cloned the key. He cloned the key, yeah. went into his room, and there was no fire. 
There's no smoke. You know, I'll be, I'll be there were a, toes though. There were apparently. <laughs> I'll be at a Hilton Garden Inn in Wenatchee in about three weeks. Oh geez, how much does this cost? I've never been offered this. I want to know. Is it possible for you to answer this question? Can you put yourself in that guest's bed if that ever happened to you? What would you do if you literally were groggy? You opened your eyes, like, what do I feel? What's going mm-hmm. on? And you looked up, and there's a dude in there sucking on your toes. Well, this is probably, it's not an entertaining answer, but I would i would remove him from the room, first of all, quickly, with both hands on his lapels of his little suit. Yes. But I would honestly feel like there's something really wrong with him, which is not a fun answer. Like, what maniac would do that? Especially to like, you know, who knows? Like, I could have had a gun. I mean, yeah. who knows who has what, right? Well, I'm wondering how you would have reacted. I would have removed him and then, of course, called the police right away. I, I may have called front desk first to tell him what happened and then called yeah. the police. Because it, clearly something's wrong with him, oh. like mentally. So I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to beat the shit out of someone who like didn't take their meds. You know what I mean? Yes. So yeah, it's not a fun answer, but oh. I would actually have a little sympathy for the person. I would. You would. In the heat of the licking. <laughs> well, I thought it was sucking, sucking. which is it? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> yes, I would remove oh. him quickly. And then I would, yes, feel badly for him and probably wouldn't press charges and the whole thing. I would actually have sympathy for him because clearly something's going on upstairs and I want to be sensitive to mental health and, you know, so yeah. Yeah. But that's, uh, it would be startling to say the least. And you knew it the whole time. I did. Here I am working on the show and you know the whole thing. Yep. Episode 238 guests. Well, you don't know the guests. If you know the guests, we really have a story. You don't know the guests. Our first interview is going to get you to say wow, especially if you stay to the end of the interview. So every year at KJR, we started doing it at KJR, and we've done it on the podcast. After the NFL draft, after the Seahawks draft a bunch of guys, I like to call the college coaches to come on and offer us a little insight about the player that's joining the Seattle Seahawks, especially the top guys. So we're doing that twice on episode 238. Interview number one is Anthony Henry was the defensive backs coach for Devin Witherspoon at Illinois. Great. He's no longer the defensive backs coach. He was just promoted to defensive coordinator of Illinois. And that's what happens when you've got a first rounder, (laughs) a second rounder, and a third rounder. He had three. Three of his starting defensive backs were drafted in the first, second, and third round of the draft. He, a young guy, former defensive back himself, was then promoted to defensive coordinator when the coordinator left to go to another job. That's a hell of a defense you got right there, kid. Pretty good. Jeez. And I think... I think you'll find the conversation with Aaron Henry about the player he calls Spoon. Okay. They call him Spoon. All right. Really interesting. But here's what happens. As I'm researching Henry, I realize that he's got a hell of a inspiring life story on how he got to this point as a coach and as a player and what he had to overcome as a youth. And I was like, whoa, I was like blown away. Okay. So at the end of the interview, actually before we start recording, I ask him, do you mind if I ask you to tell a little bit about your story after we talk about Spoon? He's like, yeah, man, anything you want to ask me. Nice. When you listen to that, you'll be looking in the mirror saying, and I get down on myself. Yeah. On things that have been happening to me in my life. Okay. You got to listen to that. Can't wait. We got like I a, mean, it's, crazy. It's kind of a twofer. Crazy. Yes. It's a twofer. The story of him, the coach, mm-hmm. and how he got here is really touching. Nice. I can't really, wait to Really, really admirable, courageous, 
Great. And yeah. then as far as him talking Inspiring. about Spoon, yeah. does, does it pump you up? I mean, does yeah. it? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, these coaches, what are they going to say? Of course, but, but he's uh, a little overrated. <laughs> I got to say, I was a little shocked he went that high. It's kind of a turn, to we be honest thought, with you. We thought he should come back, and we didn't think he was ready for the NFL. You know, they're not going to say that. But it always pumps me up when I hear it, though. You, I always you, love hearing you'll, the coaches. You'll be, the, the, all the coaches will pump you up. Okay. But you also will get a little bit of digging a little deeper, okay. if that makes sense. A little more insight to the person, maybe. Person and player. Okay. I think you'll get you'll get a little bit from from him on Spoon, and then you'll get about him on him, and it's really impressive. Really I'm impressive. I like it. Okay. So he's uh, he's interviewed guest number one, Aaron Henry, the new defensive coordinator of the Illinois Fighting Illini. Then Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, who had a few of the Seahawks draft choices mm. there. He's got a lot of thoughts. He also was a former Seahawks scout. He was in the NFL 18 years as a scout. He tells some old stories about the Seahawks and some guys that they didn't draft that we wanted them to draft. And we're sitting here many years later going, how did they not draft that guy? (laughs) Yeah. He, he, uh, he's got a lot of thoughts on the current class of the Seattle Seahawks draft. And then Jeff Schmetting, interesting story was the defensive coordinator at Auburn. So he coached Derek Hill, who was the number 37 pick overall by the Seahawks, the edge rusher from Auburn, Mm -hmm. who they got in the second round, top of the second round, who everybody's excited about, great athlete. He was the Auburn defensive coordinator, Jeff Schmetting, for him, for Hall. Once that coaching staff got blown out, he's now the defensive coordinator, the new defensive coordinator of the Washington State Cougars. Of course, right? Just that has to be that way. Exactly. That's crazy. And he grew up in Spokane, Washington. Oh, wow. And he went to Eastern (laughs) Washington University as a student, and he coached at Eastern Washington as well. He goes off to Auburn with the Boise State coach who went to Auburn to take over the Auburn program a couple of years ago. He was a defensive coordinator for Derek Hill. He's going to tell us all about Derek Hill. And I'll also ask him if he's having nightmares yet about facing Michael Penix and all the receivers at the University (laughs) of Washington. Nice. (laughs) So those are the three interviews on episode 238. Before we are officially in session, Hotshot, a few words about our partners like John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions. Love them. Whether it's a brand new fireplace inside or out, they did the one on our back deck or garage doors. Begin your search at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage seems like every day we hear about high interest rates and all the problems getting loans. Jordan Flowers, very aggressive with his team. They'll get you packages better than most. If you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, 425 890-2957. You need financing? 425-890-2957. Daniel's Broiler for special occasions. And what better special occasion than this weekend? Mother's Day. If you've waited too long to book your Sunday reservation, try Friday or Saturday night at danielsbroiler.com. A truly special evening at a special restaurant for a special woman. You gotta love Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes 
and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. Check them out. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything well. The Zeke's Pizza, ordering via the Zeke's Pizza app has gotten easier than ever before with this complete overhaul that they've done. you got to download and try it. What a craft beer selection at Zeke's. President Dan Black is going to highlight one of those locals on this very episode 238. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. It is episode 238, and it begins right now. Unfiltered. Five? Yeah. They're telling us we think Devin Witherspoon is going to be an all-pro. We think he's going to be one of the great corners we've ever had here in Seattle. Unfiltered. Would I have preferred them to not pick Charbonnet and gone in a different direction? Yes. Because at the end of the day, they need another running back. What Kenneth Walker looks like to me is a really explosive breakaway running back threat who can't be relied upon 20 carries a game. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 238 is now officially in session. Were you glued to the coronation? I didn't watch it. A second I, of it. I know. I did watch. I, I am guilty of watching on YouTube the Lionel Richie performance. <laughs> How'd he sound, by the way? All night long. He did all oh, night long. Forget it. And you got the new king dancing. To king's dance? I didn't think the king's dance. No, they probably should The shouldn't. new queen dancing, the king dancing, yeah, everybody yeah. going crazy. Yeah, yeah. All, That's it, the only thing I saw from the entire coronation. What's her name? Camilla? Camilla? Camilla. Yeah. Parker Bowles? Yes. You know, I was thinking, she's a real inspiration to all the side action girls out there. If you just hang in there long enough, you'll become the fucking queen. I mean, she remember, she was the side action to Diana. I know who she was. 35, 40 years, 30 years later? Yeah. She's, she's the, the queen. Queen. queen of England. Hang in there, side action ladies or side action guys. And you might be the one someday, right? I mean, it's pretty amazing that it worked out for her. She's oh the freaking queen of England now. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, boy. Episode 238 is underway. Now, remember, we're recording this before game three of the Kraken and Stars series. We will have a Kraken note table upon the the conclusion of game number three. So we don't have much to talk about in terms of the Kraken, the new yeah. stuff for the Kraken. But guess who is all of a sudden lukewarm? Your favorite baseball team. Ah, yes, they are. Look who has won six out of seven games. Look out. Look who's 500 again. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure they'll ever get over 500, That's but they're 500 <laughs> right now. Please tell me you put Look that Look who out. won a series against the Houston Astros and could have swept if it weren't for a terrible call by the home plate umpire on a 2-2 pitch from Matt Brash. Oh, God. I know what you're talking On Friday talking. night. You remember that? Yeah, and then he called like three other pitches that were like worse than that that he called strikes. And what happened on the very next pitch after the 2-2 pitch that he called a ball... A two-run shot, yeah, to lose the game right, yeah. in the uh, in the eighth. But all in all, the Mariners have won a couple of series in a row. Yep, they're five hundred. They've shaken at least for the time being the Astros monkey off of their shoulder a little bit, off of their back. They yeah. beat them two out of three, and we've got a new folk hero in Seattle, and his name Bryce Miller. 
Oh, Are you yes. paying attention to the one and only Bryce Miller after two starts? My friend's son is also named Bryce Miller, so it's, every time I hear it, I'm like, Does he have a good minute. slider? Does he have Sorry. a 97-mile-an-hour fastball? Did I say son? It's The daughter is Bryce Miller. I oh, should know geez. this. Yes. No, that's not very good. Bryce, well, the name, I, yeah. you know, Bryce. But Bryce. yeah, so when I hear Bryce Miller, I'm like, Bryce Miller. She's good at softball, but I mean, you know. Bryce yeah. Miller comes out for his major league debut the other day against Oakland, double-A Oakland, and... <laughs> Throws like seven innings, strikes out 10, Crazy. walks zero. He becomes the third. Did you know that? The third pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to, in his debut, strike out 10 or more and walk zero. Wow. Or zero or less. And <laughs> Who are the other two? Do would you know? like to know the other of two? Of course. I think I have them here. The other two are Steven Strasburg. Oh, he was pretty good. And Johnny Cueto. Like Babe Ruth didn't do it. Right. Cy Young didn't do it. Stras- Nolan Ryan didn't do it. Strasburg did it? Strasburg, Strasburg and he- Cueto are the only ones. Wow. And now Bryce Miller. It's Cueto, Strasburg, and Bryce Miller. Not the daughter of your friend. Yes. Ten strikeouts or more. Zero walks in their major league debut. And then all of us like me said, come on. It's against Oakland. How excited can I get? Mm. They're they're terrible. Mm. At the time they were like six and twenty-two. Right. Six and twenty-four. They they're no good. So how good could it be? But five days later on Sunday, he stifles the Houston Astros on Sunday for six shutout innings in his second start. And so now Bryce Miller is my new wow. favorite. Robbie Ray who? Right. When he goes down, you're like, eh, that would have been fun to see what he could do. But here we go. Next Bryce man Miller, up. Next fourth round draft choice wow. a couple of years ago out of Texas A&M. Fun. Throws 96-97. Apparently, they were explaining it on the telecast that or on the radio. Telecast. <laughs> I don't know. what sounds funny, that it's word. It's a telecast. What, what is it? I don't know. The broadcast. I find the telecast. telecast. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what? That word just sounds funny for some reason. I don't it's know. It's because I don't have the writers. That's true. Yeah, the any, writers any never prob- would have wrote any that. Any problems that I have, yeah, it's yeah, because yeah. I don't have the writers. Fair enough. Apparently, now, I don't know geometry. I don't know math. I don't know whatever. But his fastball spins at an enormous rate. Like the uh, revolutions. The though. revolutions per ah, minute okay. is much greater than a normal fastball. Really? And what that does is, well, you know what that does? No. And it makes kind of intellectual sense to me. I don't know why, but it does. The faster that it rotates, the more it defies gravity, okay. if that makes sense. So it stays up longer? Right. It doesn't, there's no decline to his fastball. It just kind of, it almost feels to the hitter because most fastballs in every pitch because of gravity, they go down at least slightly. Like yeah. Curveballs go way down. Sliders go down. Fastballs go down just slightly. So this fastball, apparently, at 96, 97, because it rotates so so fast, because uh-huh. it's spinning so much, doesn't have the decline that a typical fastball has. So in the mind of the hitter, it feels like it's rising. Oh, okay. But it's not. It's not rising. Well, yeah. Unless there's a different kind of spin. I don't think it can rise. Yeah. But... They, they call it late life. It's got late life. Oh. Bryce Miller's got late life. But here's the problem with the late life. Okay. The late life couldn't get anybody out in double A a couple of weeks ago. He has like a five ERA in double A. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> how, how does that work? <laughs> That's so weird. He's their number one pitching prospect. Um, everybody's very excited about him. Yeah. You can't tell everything but double A. But he had like three or four or five starts at double A. No bueno. But now that he's up in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. Nobody can get a hit on him. Mowing through the big leagues. Mowing through him. He beat the Astros on Sunday, and now he's the the next folk hero of your Seattle Mariners, Bryce Miller. Very excited about Bryce Miller. You going to give us an update on the outfielder, or are we not doing that anymore? 
The outfielder's doing fine. Okay. He's right around 300. He had gotten to 300 before Sunday's game. He got a hit in Sunday's game. He is striking out a lot. He's not nearly as hot as he once was. But the the left fielder, I mean, he's not even playing le- I mean, left field very often. Yeah. He's playing more right field. And before Julio came back, he's playing center field. But we call him the left fielder. Yeah, yeah. He's still hitting, I think, right at 300 okay. for the year. Maybe 299 to 300. And he's got a, an OPS in the nines, 950, 930. So he's still doing fine. He's just not bashing the ball and hitting home runs, right. opposite field home runs like he was a couple of weeks ago. But he's doing fine. All right, good. And even Julio hit a home run on Sunday. Julio's been struggling. There man. we go. He's ready. He's back. Julio has been struggling. Well, he's been he a been lot healthy, of right? Mar- I don't. His back's been messing with it. A him. lot of Mariners fans like jumping off of the bandwagon quickly. The guy we signed him. for life? Yes, for $460 million. <laughs> That's the guy you're going to give up on? Yeah, I'm getting lots of emails and tweets. Are we ready to call him a bust? Uh, what does this really say about Julio? And he's not clutch. And it just seems like a Mariners bust. fans, they're very qu- having a very quick trigger finger with Julio huh. during this extended little bit of slump. Of a month or two months? Yeah. I mean, they're ready to... They got the hook out. I don't know. Pull him off stage. He doesn't see. When you look at him, he's smiling and laughing and carrying on. Looks like Julio, yeah. uh, That's all I can tell you. Well, look, we were ready to fire them in what, June of last year? They were, I want to say, 29 and 39. After that Angels That's the number that's in my mind. They were like 10 games under 500. Like, if it wasn't 29 and 39, was it 19 and 20? I think it was 29 and 39. Okay. I came on and said, I'm done. Yeah. I'm just, we need change. We need a new general manager and we need a new manager. Let them all and go. from that point on, <laughs> they were the hottest team in Major League Baseball and went into the playoffs and won a series in the playoffs. So, love it. So, I'm not doing that this year. There you go. I'm just going to celebrate Bryce Miller. Yep. Applaud the left fielder. Hope for the return of the center fielder and his productivity and just be excited that they're, by the way, they're 500 and they're, Tied with the Houston Astros, not atop the division. Texas, yeah. they've got Texas coming in for three, but they've got the exact same record as the Houston Astros. And the Astros, by the way, with all of their success, and they'll be there at the end, they've got major pitching issues. Oh, they do. Okay. Oh, they've That's got good. all kinds of injuries in their rotation. Uh, One guy's gone for the year now, and another guy's on the disabled. Yeah, they've they've had nothing but issues. Their second baseman, the star Jose Altuve, hasn't played yet this year. Right, yeah. So they have been bitten by the injury bug a lot more than the Mariners or anybody else. But the Mariners sit there and they're you know they're five hundred and we're just complaining and crying and I can't believe it's five hundred. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, the world champs who are not complaining and crying, and nobody is worrying about them. Yeah. Not one single person is worrying about the Houston Astros. Everybody says the same thing about the Astros. They'll be there at the end. They're 502. Right. Same record. Yeah, yeah. Why can't we be friends? Oh, great song. Love that song. <laughs> Didn't they, they probably lost a guy or two to free agency, too. I mean, they're oh, yeah, the, the yeah. team they were last well, Verlander year. Verlander is in New York. That's right, yeah. 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 The guy living my life. What a life. Yeah. Couldn't be richer. Yeah. Handsome. Why couldn't he be the guy that the manager sucked his toes? <laughs> Something that would have made the show. That would have made the story a lot more fruitful. You seem really uh, impressed by that. There's something going on with that story that you know. No, love. I'm just a little annoyed that you knew the answer to the question before I even posed it. Well, it's kind of what I do is look up nonsense stories on Sundays. It's sort of what I do. So, yeah, yeah it's not but that you couldn't miss a story. You, you, you say it as if. You're 100% story proof over there. <laughs> I okay? am. You've missed a few mainstreamers. I have. In the past. Okay. Not this one. When well, it comes to toe sucking, I miss nothing. Okay, so you you knew the, that contest. Do you know the answer to 
why Buda Baker called out a draft choice father? I don't. You should. That's a mainstreamer? In fact, you should know that story 10 times more than you should know the toe-sucking story from Nashville, Tennessee. I don't agree. Because, yes, because the story about Buda Baker calling out the father. Now, maybe you're going to say once you hear it, oh, I knew the story. A completely viral story. Everybody's talking about this story. Everybody's got an opinion about this. I don't know that you're the judge on what everybody's talking about. I'm not a very good judge on that. No, you're not. In the sports world, you might be a good judge. But with the lack of writers. (laughs) Right. All right, three interviews. I think you're really, really going to enjoy the first one. If you just hang with it. Yeah. Enjoy how Aaron Henry, the new defensive coordinator of Illinois, talks about our new superstar corner, Devin Witherspoon. We're going to call him Spoon from here on in because that's what they called him in Illinois. Enjoy how he raves about this kid and tells us why. I mean, by the time he's done with you and you're listening to this, you'll be convinced that Devin Witherspoon is going to be better than Deion Sanders. And then after you enjoy it, what do the kids say? Come for the analysis of Spoon and stay for an inspiring life story that he tells in like two and a half minutes. It just takes about two or three minutes for him to tell the story. And I'm so pleased that he did it. It doesn't matter that it's only two and a half, three minutes. If it's a good story, it's It's a good story. Well, it's... I know the podcast typically isn't the time or place for good stories. But in this case, I'm glad you made an exception. Who cares? Without the writers... Yeah. The storytelling on this show is very poor. Yes, the writers really have a take a dramatic part of everything that we do. Okay, three interviews and then the other stuff segment. My man, Jay Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter too. Lego land with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. Very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest, true or false? False. Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. Huh? They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But Within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right. So what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? Yeah. uh, Two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in 
last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage. Phone number? 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Here he is going to the air, taking a bit of a shot, but it's intercepted. Illinois picks it off. It's Devin Witherspoon. Only one time had the Seattle Seahawks ever drafted a cornerback in the top five of the NFL draft. Now, make that twice with Devin Witherspoon. And you know what happens to defensive back coaches who year after year place guys in the NFL? They become defensive coordinators. And here he is, Illinois' defensive coordinator, Aaron Henry. How are you, coach? I'm doing incredible, brother. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Let's see how good you are. You know, before we started the interview, people should have heard that. He already had me pegged. He knew I was from Florida. He's from Florida. He did his research on the host of the show. So let's see how good you are. You're a former defensive back. Who was the only guy that the Seahawks ever drafted at the cornerback position in the top five of an NFL draft before Devin Witherspoon? How good are you, um, Coach? Come on. Dang. It was, um. ah, uh, man. I'll give you hints. What? You want hints? Yeah, give, give me some hints. Okay. It was 1997, and it was a Big Ten defensive back. I'll even tell you he was from Ohio State University, a team that you don't like very much. <laughs> I went there. I went originally I was gonna say Marcus Trufant, but that's oh, not true. Oh, that's good. That's good. True was like eleven. He wasn't top five. How about Sean Springs? Nineteen. Oh, dang. I forgot I forgot about Sean Springs. <laughs> Sean Springs was top five. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was three. In fact, oh wow. In fact, I'll I'll give you another bit of trivia. The year that they took Sean Springs three, they also had the number six pick in the first round, and they took a a certain Hall of Fame left tackle out of Florida State by the name of Walter Jones the same year oh. that they took Sean Springs. How about that? Oh, wow. I did not know that, man. Uh, that's, some, that's some Seattle Seahawks history. <laughs> now let's talk about you and that Illinois defense and this great draft choice that we've got here in Seattle. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ring the bell. Best in the nation against the pass. Best in the nation yes, scoring defense. Best in the nation interceptions. Best in the nation's takeaway. Devin Witherspoon wasn't the only reason. I understand that you put three defensive backs into the NFL in the first three rounds. Is that right? Yeah, it wasn't just me. You know, I, I wish I could take I, I wish I could take all the credit for that. You know, just like you said, DB coaches get promoted to, to um to coordinators. Our our coordinator, who was also our safeties coach, he got promoted to a head coaching job somewhere. So we all benefited from it. You know, I think we both of us, me and him, me and Coach Ron Walters. We just meshed um, so well together. You know, he had the safeties. I had the corners. It was poetry in motion, man. Like, I think with both of our being former players, you know, at, at the Division One level, understanding the game, you know, especially from a DB perspective, being able to pour into these young men, um, it truly was an amazing season. And, and we led in a lot of those categories because 
it, it really helps to have good players. Coach Henry, you know what it tells me when you put three guys in the first three rounds in the NFL draft? You know what that tells me? What's that? It tells me you got your work cut out for you this coming season at defensive back. <laughs> uh, no doubt. You know what's even funnier? Um, I truly believe that guys behind them are just as good or better. Oh. They're just not as experienced yet. Oh. You know, there were there there were some growing pains before we got here with Sydney, with Quan, with Devin. Some of the guys we have coming, you know, some of the younger guys, they're just as talented. They're, they they just don't have a lot of starts yet. And so um, we really look forward to the future and what this place has to offer in terms of DB play. Um, and, 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 and we think we're going to be good, especially on the back end year in, year out, especially as long as I'm here. Coach Aaron Henry is with us. You know what I want to do? I want to, I want to get on a plane, fly out to Champaign, <laughs> Illinois, and I want, to, Come on. I, I want to sit with you side by side, and I want you to put the film on of Devin Witherspoon on one screen, and I want you to put the film on a certain defensive back from Wisconsin from the years 2007 to 2011 by the name of Aaron Henry. And he, he, he was all Big Ten first team his senior year, this guy Henry. I want to know, compare and contrast the two players, Aaron Henry and Devin Witherspoon. Tell me. Um, Jevin Witherspoon was a top five draft pick and Aaron Henry was an undrafted free agent. <laughs> who, who parlayed that into being a coach? Um, no, um, the, the difference was Devin was faster than me. Devin was probably, probably more physical than me. I, I would probably say the only area I edged Devin in was the ability to talk trash. Um, and, and Devin was Devin's like exceptional at talking trash. I, I would say that was probably the only area that I asked him in. But in terms of football play, man, I mean, nah, he's the winner in that department, man. He 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 is he's a special talent, man. He's a, a unbelievable young man. Um, and a lot of the credit goes to his mother. She put him in everything, man. She 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 put him in everything. And, and you know, Devin had hoop dreams. Devin Devin in Devin's mind, he was a he was he was going to be an NBA player and. Um, in order to keep him out of trouble and, and keep him, like, focused on school, his mom just, like, listen, man, you ain't just going to be hanging out. I need you to be in another sport. I want you to try football. And he did it for his mom, and he happened to be really, really, really freaking good at it, you know. And so just all testament and credit to, to that amazing woman, man, because I, I don't know if Devin would be where he is if it wasn't for her. He didn't start playing football until the junior year in high school? Is that right? Junior year in high school, bro. How about that? God. Junior year in high school, so his his best football is ahead of him, man. Like he he left as a redshirt junior. I mean, obviously it would have been nice to have him back, but I mean, dude, his best football, his best football is so far ahead of him. Like he just understands the game. You know, he was a Devin was a six eight high jumper coming out of high school. Like he just has the innate ability to lean into guys who are twice his size and not panic or not be like he's he has functional strength. He's very strong when the ball's in the air. He's very strong when running with people and not being out of control. Um, he knows how to maneuver his body in a way that a lot of DBs can't because they just can't naturally do that. Mm-hmm. And I think being a high jumper and being an elite basketball player, it, it kind of – and playing all the other sports he played, that, that kid played everything. Um, it, it's kind of allowed him to have the success that he's having. Does he remind you of anyone, Aaron? You know what? So it's funny you say that. So, so I grew up with J.C. Jackson, okay? out of um, Immokalee. He's out of Immokalee, Florida. Um, J.C. Jackson is now with the, the Chargers. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of like 
his physicality at the line of scrimmage and his ability to run with people, he reminds me of J.C. in that regard, you know, and his ball skills because J.C. was an elite wide receiver turned DB. But I'm only comparing him to, like, people that I know personally and saw. Like, I had a chance to see J.C. up front and, and close. Yeah, Devin is probably um, a more physical tackler than, than J.C., you know, but in terms of all the tools and the skill set, like the ball hawking ability, the ability to, to um, challenge receivers at the top of routes, the ability to cut them off when you're running stride for stride with them. Um, he reminds me of J.C. Jackson a lot with the Chargers. He reminds me of J.C. when he was with the Patriots, actually. Yeah. J.C.'s with the Chargers now. Yeah. Coach Aaron Henry is with us. Coach, under six feet, you mentioned it. He's not the biggest guy. He's not even the fastest no. guy. Even though he was faster than you, he's not the fastest guy. Um, but he's a playmaker. And everything I read about him, and I and I watched him a little bit uh, during the year with you guys, a little bit out here in Seattle. Everybody says the same. Everybody uses the same words about him: instincts, instincts. He's got incredible football instincts. Talk to me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his football IQ and acumen is unbelievable. You know, we um, um about two springs ago, uh, we had a new office coordinator come in. Or it was actually last spring. We had a new office coordinator come in, and the rule of thumb in college football, you know, you get two receivers to the field, um, a tight end into the boundary with a, with a receiver into the boundary and the running backs offset to the boundary. Right. And the concept you get, you'll get double slant to the field and you will get a star concept to the boundary where the tight end is on a seven cut. The number one receiver to the boundary runs a little five yard hitch and the back swings into the boundary. And the day before, right. Spoon, um, spoon, we call him spoon. Devin had got hit with a double move and he played it well. He got hit with a double move. They didn't throw the ball to his side. And so he knew, like, the following day, he had the same – they motioned to it to create it. The same look, but this time they run the slant. He jumps in front of the slant and goes like 80, right? And so the offensive coordinator after practice, he walks up to me. He's like, oh, so you guys you guys are just you guys are just cheating plays. Now you guys just jump and slant. I just died laughing because I'm like, no, we're actually not. That kid is just so smart. You right. know what I mean? Like, he understands football. And so – Coach B pulls up the clip in the meeting. He said, Devin, talk to me. Devin proceeds to get up in front of the room, tells every wide receiver what they're giving away and what they're doing, uh-huh. proceeds to talk about the front and the backfield formation, all right, and proceeds to tell the offense that I knew what route set, what route concept was coming because the day before y'all had ran a double move on me, uh, and I knew that this isn't the area that you guys run double moves. And That's everybody in the room is, like, enamored. Incredible. But – like, like that's how smart he is, right? Like, that young man can see something one time and remember it forever. It just allowed him to, to play fast, and he understood within the framework of a defense when he could cheat and when he could take risk. And a lot of those risks were calculated risk, and it put him in a position to be successful. And, yes, he's instinctual, but he also has some of the quickest feet I've ever seen on a player getting in and out of breaks, you know? And so um, some of that is, is instincts, but um, a lot of it is just his innate ability to understand what teams are trying to do to him. You guys run a lot of man-to-man principles. Uh, why oh, would? Oh yes, sir. Why wouldn't you when you've got three top three or first three round draft choices? The Seahawks run a lot of zone. They mix in a little man-to-man. They like to run a little man-to-man, but they they do primarily play a lot of zone back there. How would you compare and contrast him, Spoon, playing man-to-man versus playing zone? He's just as good in either one of them. Okay, so. So the year before, we were a zone team. Spoon could always cover his guys, but we were a zone team because 
we felt like on the outside we were being challenged a little more, and we wanted to give some, give, give guys some relief and some confidence, and so we played a lot more zone the year before. Well, this year we were really, really good at man-to-man, and so it's like this young man thrives. You know, before we got here, Devin was in a in a zone scheme defense. He they were in cover three, cover two, and, and a little bit of man. So he's used to playing zone, you know. Um, he doesn't have a problem playing zone, but he'll also line up and play man like he's been playing it his whole life. You know, um, there's a clip on the Internet that's probably got over 5, 10 million views now of us in zone coverage. Um, we're playing against Indiana. Yep. The back runs a swing right out of the backfield. Yep. And Devin's like 10 yards off, and he takes off like he's in a track. <laughs> well, well, Devin had – that same play had happened in fall camp. And I got my ass ripped by our head coach because <laughs> – he he told me he told me that we couldn't do that to our wide receivers and and I totally understand that right. Well, that play comes up again versus Indiana and he is in a dead sprint. It, it was like he saw it a hundred times, and same foot, same shoulder runs right through the guy. But we were in zone defense then, like he has the ability to see things from a zone perspective that puts him in a position to make a lot of plays. And for a lot of that zone film, if you go to the 2021 tape, we played a lot more zone that year and he excelled at it. Let's talk about some of the things about Spoon that people, I wouldn't say criticize, but no no player is perfect at that age. A couple of things they say about him, I want to get your response. One of the things is he's so committed to playing in the run game, and you have to in the Big Ten because they're going to run at you. Corners have to play Absolutely. the run. That sometimes, sometimes he bites on play action, and he's so eager to make a play in the running game that he bites on play action and gets himself in trouble. That's one thing I've read about him. And then the other thing is, because he doesn't have the top-end speed, Coach, sometimes when he's beaten, and it's not very not very often that the guy's beaten, but if he's beaten deep, that he might not have the makeup, the catch-up speed, or whatever you guys, whatever the term is that you call it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what them people are talking about, but <laughs> the guy the, the... – the guy, the guy ran a, the guy ran a four three seven like a four four two at his pro day with a, with a with an eighty five percent hamstring. Okay. Like like the kid, we clocked the kid several times. He ran twenty three five. He ran twenty three miles an hour. All right, so um, the kid can fly. Okay, he can absolutely fly, fly, okay. fly. Like he is, he is fast, fast. Um, a lot of times in zone coverage, um, in our in our defensive scheme especially early in games, like we want our guys to be super aggressive because in this conference, teams are going to run the football. And so when you see Spoon triggering on film a lot of times in, in, in the run game, especially in zone coverage, that's because his coach told him to do that. You don't take a guy fifth overall if you don't think that he's that, he's that guy. Special, you know? special. Very special. I can't wait. I can't wait to see him on one side and Tariq Woolen on the other. That's going to be great. For all of us, see, oh. brother, I can't wait neither. I can't wait neither, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so, I'm so elated for the young man. You know. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice. Everybody can hear it in your voice. Now, listen, don't run on me yet. Okay, I, no. I want to, I want to ask you a question about you because we love great stories on this show, uh-huh. uplifting yes, stories. And when I was reading up on you, thinking that we'd only be talking about Devin, I was very touched by your upbringing and your journey to success in life. And by the way, for our listeners, you probably don't know, not only was this guy, Aaron Henry, not only is he a good coach, great coach, great up-and-coming coach, he was a really good player, all Big Ten, tried to make it in the NFL. He was a really good student, all academic Big Ten. 
would you mind if it's not too painful just for a, a minute or two telling everybody in our in our audience about your your journey your upbringing the third grade decision that your family made where your dad was yes, and your grandparents and all that would you tell us a little bit yes sir no i um i don't mind it at all so i, I started out with um you know i, I got nine sisters you know we, we could come from a really really big family when I was in the third grade, my um my father was incarcerated at the time, and my mom was kind of doing her thing. She was when I say doing her thing, she was she was running the streets a little bit. And my mom had her first child at 15 years old. She didn't really get to have a teenage, young adult life, and so I think she kind of did that in some of her later years in life. And so we made a decision. My father was in prison at the time. They made a decision that I should move in with my grandmother, and my grandmother was my father's mom. And this lady named Margaret Lee from um, from Jennings, Louisiana. My uh, it was it was a, it was a tough decision because I'm I'm the I was the only boy that my mom had had, you know. And so it was a really really hard decision. I mean, think about being a third grader. Um, I thought being taken away from my mom, but moving into a different situation like it was very very ch- you don't understand it at that age. And so I'm moving with my grandmother, and my grandmother proceeds to pour into me. You know, she proceeds to provide me with a lifestyle. You know, at that time, prior to moving with my with my grandmother, I had been exposed to a lot of things. You know, my, my father was in prison for, my father was a big time drug dealer. Uh, my mom was, she was obviously helping him in that regard. And um, they were on and off. And I had just been exposed to so many different things as a, as a young kid. And um, that, that, that wasn't a lifestyle that, that my, my grandparents wanted. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, they felt like it was in my best interest to live with grandma and Grandma took me in and introduced me to Jesus Christ and, and, and kind of changed my lifestyle in terms of, you know, just consistency, right? I was going to school every day. You know, I was on time at school. You know, when I was living with my mom, you know, I had I had missed like 60-some-odd days in a school year just because, it, it you know, she was dealing with her own her own demons and going through some things that she was dealing with. And I don't know if she could really pro- provide for us in a sense of just being there um, mentally and physically. And it was something that my grandma was able to do. Grandma just, she took off, man. She took off. Granddad was obviously in the household as well. He was the old school provider. You know, he made sure that the lights was on. And, and um, we had we had everything in terms of necessities that, that we needed in order to survive. And grandma just made sure the house ran. And um, I just slowly, from that standpoint, I slowly started to excel. Um, I started to excel at, a, at an alarming rate. It's just crazy what, when you provide a young a young kid with consistency, and love that um, they can go on to be a, I went from a, from a C and D and F student to a straight A student over the course of the next couple of years, my, my football career, you know, at a very, very young age started to blossom. You know, when I moved in with my grandmother, I couldn't read or write, you know, and she introduced me to, um, to Dr. Seuss. My grandmother was a teacher for over 30 years. She introduced me to Dr. Seuss. We would read it every night. We would read those books that had a lot of repetitive sounds in it. You know, I had a really, really bad stuttering problem. I was in speech classes at a, at a very, very young age. And slowly but surely, um, I started to kind of come into my own and started to overcome those um, stuttering habits and my grandmother's ability to um, to teach me, essentially. And my life kind of changed in that regard in terms of just being a better student. And she kind of dangled the academic piece in front of me with football. When I first got with her, I had a really bad semester in elementary school, and I was crushing it. First time playing football, I was crushing it. And she told me that if I ever came home with grace like this, I would never be able to play football again. 
Well, guess what? I went from from D's and F's to to to, to straight A's, and it's just crazy wow. how just a little small motivating factor like that kind of changed my life. As I got into high school, really excelled, and I was fortunate coming out of college. I had over 48 Division One offers to a lot of the top programs in the country, especially being out of South Florida. And it was it was this young man who, who walks into my home, or she told him to make his stuff at home, and he takes his shoes off. It's a young Brett Bielema, about the age of like 34. You know, and my grandmother proceeds to fall in love with him, you know. Um, I mean, we had had Urban Meyer there. We had had um, a lot of the top coaches in the country come by the house, you know, and my grandma was just drawing to Coach B and, and, and what he brought to the table, you know, and so I decided to take that scholarship to go and play at Wisconsin, get to Wisconsin, have a lot of early success, and um, early, early, early success was followed by a devastating knee injury that kind of changed my changed my career, you know. I was a freshman All-American, and I tore my knee. Um, I tore my knee at the end of my freshman year. Um, actually getting ready for a bowl game back home that, that seemingly, cause I was a corner, it seemingly changed my life in terms of how I played, how I played the game. I ended up just from that knee surgery, coming back and moving to safety and having a really, really good career at safety. I was a lot trophy semifinalist, had a great career in college. And obviously I, I ended up having four knee surgeries in college. Coach saw it before I did, and he he asked me um, my junior year, "Have I ever thought about coaching?" And I'm like, "Hell no, I would never coach." You know, I had I had no no intentions on ever coaching just because I never wanted to. You know, and college career seemingly ended. Have a chance with the Oakland Raiders, and they like some guys better than they liked me, and um, I end up being cut. So I became an academic advisor at the University of Arkansas. I, I recommend every graduate assistant before getting into football become an academic advisor. That helped my career tremendously. Cause I was able to see how young men learn on the, on the academic side. And then I got parlayed into a GA role and the rest is kind of history, man. And so God. my coaching career started in Arkansas in 2013. God. And um, I've been, I've been rocking with coach ever since, man. It's, it's, it's been a real blessing, you know, to be, to kind of be elevated in this, in this position for him as a defensive coordinator, as a former player for him. I don't take this day for granted at all. You know, it's just true blessing to be around this guy, the opportunity he's given me to pour back into these these young players. And so for me, him and Devin to be at the draft together, right? I'm standing with my head coach, who's Devin's head coach, right? Who now I'm Devin's position coach. It was just like, it was unreal, man. It was absolutely unreal. And um, to see where I came from, Immokalee, Florida, um, at one point in time when I was growing up, you know, it was like the AIDS capital of the world. It was like, it was like one of the more violent places in the country to be in this position that I am now coming from a really, really, really small town. I can tell you, you know, by the grace of God, brother, that I'm here, you know, um, it's truly a blessing. You're an inspirational guy, a very, very inspirational guy. May I ask one last question? I, I, yes, sir. I, I, I hope it's a good answer, but I, I'm curious. I think our audience would be curious. Any relationship with the, the family, the mother, the father, the sisters? How's yes, sir. Yes, sir. So my father, my father, was released from prison in 2012. He's been phenomenal, man. He's actually a chef down in um down in Florida on Sanibel Island. But um he's a, my father's a chef. He's unbelievable. My mother, we have a great relationship. About three years ago, she suffered a, um a massive, massive, massive um she had hemorrhaging on her brain. She had high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. She's my sister's taking care of her, but my mom's in a pretty tough position. She's disabled. She's she's she can't really can't really move or function. She can talk, but the left side of her body's paralyzed. She just had a massive I'm stroke. I'm sorry. Massive, massive stroke. But um, she's alive. She's breathing. She understands what's going on in front of her. It's just, 
it was it was a pretty pretty tough event, man. Um, just for me and my family, my my sisters are doing well. Life has kind of changed, you know. Like I think when you get a little older, you know, you you learn to forgive people and you learn to move past a lot of those things. And I'm just I'm just blessed to be in a position to take care of them now. How about grandma? Gra- grandma. So grandma, I'm glad you asked that. Grandma passed in um 2016 oh. from a rare form of gallbladder cancer. It was truly truly devastating. But um she's been so she was so special and instrumental to my life. It's funny that you say that because. I found out about um about uh, three months ago that my wife is pregnant and we're having twins, uh, twin girls. Congratulations! And so um, uh, that's how the good Lord blesses you sometimes. You know when you lose an angel. I hope you'll consider naming one of them after your grandma. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are. We are. Oh, amazing. You're a you're a great guy. We look forward to having Devin Witherspoon, and someday I'll figure out a way or a reason to have you back on the show. You're you're quite an inspiration. Thank you, Coach. Thank you for doing it. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, she's the director of financial planning at our Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call, Katie Versio. She's also my arch nemesis when it comes to financial trivia. Katie, how are you? How's everyone over at Evergreen Golf Call? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Everybody's good over there. Our theme today is what? So today we're doing a market update. Okay. Which brings us to three questions. I typically go over three. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good today, so I'm ready for question number one. As I know we discussed quite a bit over the last few months, 2022 was the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio with both stocks and bonds down double digits. So true or false? In 2023, both stocks and bonds are up. Is that true or false? It's absolutely true, Katie Versio. That's right. It is true. So the market is off to a much better start this year, even though there's a lot more economic uncertainty. Mm -hmm. The stock market's up about 8% and bonds are up nearly 3%. Very good. And I am up one for one, which screams at me, quit, Mitch. Quit right now and go out one for one. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to press my luck. What's question number two, Katie? Okay, so number two is another true or false. We'll see how you do with this one. So the yield curve is currently inverted, meaning that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. Is that true or false? I'm going to say false, Katie. That's false. Oh, it's actually true. Wow. So I know it's uh, it's counterintuitive. Typically, you think the longer time frame you have, the more interest you get. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the opposite in this environment. It's typically an indication of a recession, and you actually get more interest for shorter time periods. That's actually surprising. It leaves me one for two. I'm not quitting. I'm continuing to press my luck. I'm going two for three. What's question number three, Katie? The 10-year treasury currently pays an interest rate of 3.5%. So knowing what we talked about in number two, what do six-month treasuries yield? So 10-year yields three and a half. Does a six-month treasury yield 4%, 5%, or 6%? We know more. Question is how much more? I'm going B. I'm going 5% for 667. I'm going 5% for two out of three today. That's right. It is 5%. So it's an interesting environment where 
you only get three and a half percent for holding a position for 10 years, wow. but you get 5% on the yeah. short term. So it's a really interesting environment with interest rates elevated at this level. We think now is a good time to lock in return. You can get better interest rates on money markets now. There's a lot more options for investors to park their cash than just a regular savings account. It's an unusual time in the world, the financial world, and they are there for you. Evergreengk.com. Not only a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and part of the reason that we are possible on this podcast, but just a terrific resource. So check them out, evergreengk.com. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions, but still some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead, and there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So we're at about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, if I've looked back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we, we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there. And lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every Every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. Quick slant up in the air and intercepted by Hall. And Hall towns there at 23. Episode 238, Mitch Unfiltered and our next guest. Had a hand in molding new Seahawks edge rusher Derek Hall. He's also the brand spanking new defensive coordinator of the Washington State Cougars. Jeff Schmetting. Hiya, coach. Hey, how you doing? Good Pleasure to, to be on. Good to have you back. Deep roots in the Pacific Northwest, I see. Born and raised in Spokane, a student and coach at Eastern Washington, a stop in Boise State. Must feel pretty good to be back. Absolutely. You know, it was good. Uh, you know, when you get in this profession, you never know where the adventure is going to take you, but uh, it's always good to be home. Now, you came on the show thinking, I want to talk Derek Hall or the Cougs defense. But what I really want to know, Coach, <laughs> I want to know who who beat you 
in the 215-pound 3A Washington State final wrestling match. In what year? 96? 97? Yeah. What year was it? It was 96. <laughs> 96. <laughs> I want to know who uh, be I want to know who beat you and where he is today. Uh, his name was Kurt Armstrong. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you first of all bringing up some old stuff. Uh, there was a lot of good matches that led up to that one. <laughs> but yeah, he beat me 9 to 4, 9 to 4. Uh and uh a funny story is I learned that you should listen to your coach. We had an elite coach, uh, probably a Hall of Fame coach, Don Owen. He told me, you know, all the things that, that this guy was uh, really, really good at. And uh, I figured, okay, well, I'll kind of bait him into it. Well, it turns out he was pretty good at those things, and uh, the baiting did not work. So, uh, But I appreciate you bringing that up. Ah, yeah. Where did Kurt Armstrong? He was from Inglemore High School. What? He was from Inglemore High School this way. Over on this side yep. of the state. Wow. Where's Kurt Armstrong today? Somebody in our audience must know Kurt Armstrong. We got to get Kurt Armstrong's version of the story. Is he walking around? <laughs> is he walking around telling everybody, hey, I beat that guy, that DC, that defensive coordinator at Auburn and at Washington State. I beat him. I beat his ass in the state final. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea <laughs> what, what's going on now, but uh yeah. If he is, you know, more power to him because he did win. Uh, University High, U High in Spokane, right? Yep. There it is. And the Cougar Media Guide says Spokane native Jeff Schmetting begins his first season on head coach Jake Dickert's staff after being named Cougars defensive coordinator January 12th, 2023. The second paragraph in the Media Guide, the second paragraph says, Schmetting returns to the Pacific Northwest, having spent the past two seasons at Auburn, most recently serving as defensive coordinator. And in 2022, Schmetting oversaw the development of all SEC first team edge rusher Derek Hall, who totaled 60 tackles, 12 for losses, seven sacks. This is in the second paragraph of the Washington State Media Guide. This is a quite acclaimed the fame Derek Hall, huh? Special kid, special player, coach. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's one of those guys that when you uh, are around him, you know, it, you feel his energy. Let's, let's let's start with that. Like number one, you know, I I would joke around. He's like the mayor, man. He he he's gonna talk. He's gonna uh, always in a good mood. He, you know, even when we're not having a great day or anything like that, man. He. He has leadership skills, elevates the people around him. That was the thing as a coach. I mean, certainly you can get turn the film on and see the skill set, uh, you know, the strength, the size, the speed, all those different things. But uh, the way he he does it and the, the manner in which he lifts the team, man, you couldn't ask for a, for a better guy to be around. Were you surprised at all when he went? Are you Are you too far removed from that scene to have had any kind of thought as to what what round and how high he was going to go? No, you know, I've been in contact with him throughout the process a little bit. So, um, you know, I had an idea and, you know, been doing this long enough to know that, you know, would he fit in that late first round, early second round or late second round? And, and you never know how the draft goes, right? So sometimes they can fall a little bit further than you think, but I figured he would, he would be early. I mean, he's got too good of a skill set. He's got length. He can drop. He's a versatile kid. Plus, I can't imagine sitting in an interview uh, as a, a general manager or a scout and not being impressed with him. 
I mean, that's, that's the thing that I thought um, would, would stack on top of his playing ability was his presence when he walks in a room and the way that he uh, communicates, um, you know, he's, he's a special kid for sure. I'm reading where his story starts at birth. He was born four months premature and he spent the first five months of his life in an incubator at Gulfport Memorial Hospital. Did you know that about him? I did not know that. Wow. 147 tackles, 29 and a half tackles for losses, 19 and a half sacks for you guys at Auburn. What's the bow and arrow thing, coach? Man, he, I'll tell you what, my, 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 my kids try to emulate that. You know, he, he, uh, he, he was doing that probably before we got there and then he'll be doing it, uh, you know, after, but, uh, that's his signature, and I'll tell you what, a lot of good things were happening if that bow and arrow came out, so I was all for it. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, he is uh, – you guys will get to know him. He is, he's got a lot of life, a lot of juice, and whatever uh, they did in that incubator, it worked pretty damn well. <laughs> he said, I love Coach Schmetting. He does a great <laughs> job. He's very smart. He's very articulate. He's very detailed. I like the way he talks about you, Coach. The Seahawks are running – uh, a three, four, the last couple of years. Talk to us specifically at how he fits standing up. Yeah, I think that's, in my opinion, that's where he's best suited. And, and when, you know, we talk three, four, four, two, five, all those different things, yep. you know, he's got the versatility because when you play a three, four system, you're also going to kick the front, front to an even front. And he's got the ability to play in both. We would be able to drop him. We'd be able to rush you want him obviously going after the quarterback more than you want him dropping. Funny story on that though. He was he was kind of not, you know, jokingly complaining about dropping too much in the game, and then then he got himself his first interception. So <laughs> I was asking, you know, are you okay with it now? Uh, so, <laughs> but no, he does have versatile skill set, and um, you know, he runs well. He's smart. His biggest thing I thought from the first year we were there to year two was he just set out a goal that he was going to learn, not just what he was doing, but what was going on right next to him, behind him and around him. And, you know, he was one of those guys that truly bought into that and, and could tell you which ways the safeties were rotating, what they should check on this. And I think that helps anytime you're, you're a smarter player, you're, you're able to play faster. So he understood what was going on around him, but that was him specifically wanting to know, more about the game and I think I think um, you know the best is yet to come for Derek coach John Schneider the general manager here describes him as heavy-handed now I don't know what that means Kurt Armstrong of Inglemore High School knows what that means but I don't know what that means <laughs> maybe you can yeah. <laughs> maybe you can tell me a little bit what what Schneider's talking about he likes the fact that that Derek is heavy-handed yes well, I think of it like this. I mean, there's so you watch uh, boxing, you watch UFC. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a difference when Mike Tyson punches you. There's a difference when George Foreman punches you, right? Yeah. So when he's able to generate the power from the ground up, and he he's got a great skill set, but when he, you know, long arms or he takes his hands through the chest, I mean, it, it creates knockback. It creates knockback. He understands how to generate power. Some of it's talent-wise. A lot of it's intentional, though, on how he worked to. Uh, to work his hips and hands through through uh, somebody's chest and been in drills with him uh, and uh, heavy handed is a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. Would you say that he is at least at the beginning of his pro career going to be a pass rusher? Going to be in in there on pass rushing downs and rushing off the edge and maybe not complicating things with having him in there 
versus the run. I know you're going to bristle at that because you're his coach and you're going to say, oh, he's well-rounded sure. and, he, and he's he's going to be great against the run. He's going to be great. About but do you see him being a pass rusher? I, I believe he, he will be a good pass rusher. Absolutely. Um, yes. You know, I, I did uh, I did work with him and I do think he is versatile. So I'm going to give you a little bit of the coach speak, but but certainly, you know, especially in, in that league, you got to be able to get after the quarterback. He does have that ability. I think that's where it starts at that position is pass rush ability. And then from there, it's how he develops on setting edges and, and be able to, uh, to handle the run game. But I think he's got the, the tools and the skill set where he could eventually be proficient in all those things. Somebody wrote that he doesn't have a go-to pass rushing move yet, that he needs to develop a go-to pass rushing move. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do. I think he, his long arm was, was really what he relied on. And, and in fairness to Derek, I mean, it worked, right? So he's going to have to develop a counter move to that. You know what I mean? Usually the great pass rush, they only have two or three real pass rush moves and they're very good at it. And then you have a counter. He, he kind of relied and he was able to get away with it using his long arm. And, but you did see times where he could work up the field, up and unders and things like that. But it's just developing and enhancing what he has done to this point. But, yeah, I think he, he's got room to grow in that area. Coach, we talked a lot about Jalen Carter here in Seattle leading up to the draft. There was a lot of thought that at five, maybe John Schneider and Pete Carroll would take Carter from Georgia. You were in the SEC with him. You know all about him. What scared me, I know a lot of people talked about his off-the-field stuff, but what scared me a little bit about him was not off-the-field was that they were so talented, Georgia was, across the defensive line, he was out of the game as much as he was in the game. I mean, mean, every time I turned around, he was either making destructive plays on the field or he was standing on the sideline watching all those other great defensive tackles that Georgia... And I just wondered how much he played and whether that was going to affect him come to the, the pro level. The reason I bring that up is Derek was on the field an inordinate amount. You had you just didn't take that guy off the field. He was out there like 80% of the time, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> our depth was uh, our depth was a little different than Georgia's. So uh <laughs> Everybody, everybody's <laughs> was. In, 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 a, in a short answer, that's why. You know, and and um, you know, his counterpart on the other side, a, a kid named Eku Viota, was a really, really good player and and got injured early on, Torres Peck. So Derek's one of those guys that doesn't want to come off either. And in our situation that we were in, he needed to be out there as much as possible. You're certainly cognizant of what's too much, but uh, you know, he did a great job of understanding that he wanted to be on the field a lot and, and getting himself in elite shape. I mean, he was the leader of our defense vocally and, you know, physically on the football field. And, you know, it's tribute to him because we did play him uh, a lot of snaps, but uh, he embraced that. He didn't. Uh, there was never a complaint that I'm playing too much. Okay. Before Coach Jeff Schmetting goes, there's people yelling at the podcast right now. Mitch, you're in Seattle. You're talking to the defensive coordinator of the Cougs. We got to find out what's going on over there. So give us a little uh, thumbnail. How's it going? I know you're replacing Brian Ward, who's off to Arizona State. I know about the 425, which is a staple of Jake, head coach Jake. How's it looking? Offensively, I know you guys are going to be really good. Are you going to be able to hold up defensively? Well, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it was great going through this spring. Whenever, you know, you're, you're in transition, you want to see it with your own eyes. And, and one thing, you know, Coach Dicker's done a great job with the foundation here. Uh, if, you, if you're not playing hard, it stands out. 
and that's a compliment to our guys. They go hard, really hard. And and I think we have, you know, the right pieces in the right spots. Certainly always are trying to uh, add on to that, but the foundation is set and, you know, we're, our job is to, to simply build on it and enhance it. But the, the vibe around here is really, really good. I mean, the one, the first thing when I got here was refreshing to see everything that I had researched and heard was true. I mean, the guys, first of all, love being around each other. They love football and that's a great place to start. And you got a couple of all conference edge rushers returning. I understand in Jackson and stone. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we're sitting here talking about uh, Derek Hall and that's a similar position. I can tell you that position is um, all positions, of course, are important, but those guys that can get get after the uh, quarterback and set edges and things like that. There's a reason why they go early in the NFL. Mm. Have you started to have any nightmares yet about Michael Penix and all these receivers over here in Seattle? <laughs> uh, I haven't had time to have any nightmares yet, but uh, I, I do understand. I certainly understand uh, that there is great competition in this conference and the quarterbacks in this conference, you know, are elite. And, uh, but I, you know, I was, I was down uh, working with Derek the last couple of years. There's some pretty good ones in that conference too. I think the, <laughs> the more I know it, it's cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true. You, you got to focus on yourself because I can't really control what they're doing right uh, now. Coach Jeff Schmetting. Great to have you back in the Pacific Northwest. All the best to you at Washington state. Thanks for joining us, coach. All right. Appreciate you for having me. And I'll tell Kurt Armstrong, you said hello. Okay. <laughs> Go Cougs. <laughs> so what's the best spot in the Northwest to celebrate special occasions? Daniel's Broiler, of course. Here he is, Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. How's everything in the restaurants, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Yeah, we're, uh, as you know, we're coming up on Mother's Day, Sunday, May 14th, which is one of the busiest days of the year for us. And we love seeing moms and everybody celebrating together. So really excited for that. Danielsbroiler.com. At the time of this recording, how are reservations? Are they open for the locations on the actual Mother's Day? And if not, I guess Friday or Saturday, but you open early on Sunday. Yeah, at this point, we've got reservations and we make it a longer day. So normally Sundays, we just open for dinner. But for Mother's Day, we open at noon at the Leshy, South Lake Union and Bellevue locations. So a lot more opportunity for seating on Mother's Day. And it's going to be a great day. And will Lindsay Schwartz's mother be at a Daniel's Broiler location this Mother's Day? You know, we're still trying to work that out. But <laughs> but, but sometimes we go, as you know, sometimes we don't. We always go for Thanksgiving. But uh-huh. I got a question for you. Is, uh-huh. is, Hold on. But you've got to finish. Finish answering this question. If she were to go this Mother's Day, your mom, A, would she be able to get a table or not? And B, if she went, what would she order? Okay, first of all, I would make the reservation early. That's why we would all get a table. I know enough to know you got to do that. Uh-huh. And uh, if she goes, I've, I've told you before, she loves Pacific Northwest salmon. That yeah. That's her go-to a Mother's Day every day, even Thanksgiving, actually, for her. So that's how she rolls. But my question for you is, yeah. has your mother ever yeah. been to Daniel's Broiler on Mother's Day? Well, Seal Levy has been to Daniel's Broiler on multiple occasions, and I think special occasions, but I don't ever recall her being there on a Mother's Day because I don't ever recall her being here in the Pacific Northwest on Mother's Day. But if she were to be there on May 14th, she would not get the salmon. She would get the petite filet and have it cooked rare. She likes it red. She likes it bleeding. That's what she would order. Unless you're going to open a location in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, she won't be there this 
this Mother's Day. Sorry, Lindsay. All right, I'll let you know if we're going to open one in, in her area, and, and uh, we'll take you there opening night. Daniels Broiler, danielsbroiler.com. Make your reservations for mom early and get there. And if it's too late and you want to go on Friday or Saturday night, that's a great time to celebrate, too, because Daniels Broiler is the best for special occasions. Unfiltered. In the 2023 NFL Draft, the Seattle Seahawks select Devin Witherspoon, cornerback, Illinois. Episode 238, Mitch Unfiltered, back to the draft for a segment. Jim Nagy, executive director, the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama, 18-year NFL scout, including the Seattle Seahawks. How are you, Jim? I'm doing good, Mitch. Good to have you back. Day one winner. You called the Seahawks a day one winner. We'll get to that in a minute. Do you like or love Witherspoon? Uh, he's an easy guy to, to, to love. I mean, you put on the tape and, and uh, you just, you, you do, you fall in love with his play style. He, he plays like a Seahawks, man. He's uh, he plays the position like a linebacker. Uh, I said it in the fall in one of my one of my social media posts. I mean, very rarely. I don't I don't know if there's been a time. I mean, maybe Pac-Man Jones in terms of like watching a guy and run watching a corner like come up and tackle and run support <laughs> um, and just fly around. I mean, just he he's different. He, he's really a unique player. What's he missing, if anything? I don't know if he's missing anything. Um, He's good all around football player, man. Like, does he have? Is he have like unique size, like Tariq Woolen or something? No, he's he's got average size. That's probably it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, really high end athlete. He was he's from down our way here uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, really good high school track athlete, basketball player. You know, kind of late to football. That's why he was a. I think I read something. He was a zero star recruit. Mm-hmm. Kind of surprising. He even ended up at a place like Illinois, but. Uh, uh, you know, just because he had a limited football background, but but no, other than like elite size, I mean, he's he's just a really good player. He's got instincts. He's got short area burst. He can run. He's really physical. He's got ball skills. No, really, really good player. You know, people people thought Seattle was going to be stuck um, if they didn't take Jalen Carter, and and I kind of thought, I kind of thought, uh, you know, in the back of my head, this was the guy they were sitting on. Mm. Smith and Jigba is interesting at twenty. Jim most had him as the number one wide receiver in the class. Is it rare that the best in class at the wide receiver spot doesn't have top end speed? Yeah, and it's and it's rare that the top receiver in the draft, which which I think he is, and, and just talking to teams around the league leading up to the draft, you know, most teams had him graded as the top guy. It's rare that they last to twenty. You know, it's pretty unique that you can get the the top receiver in class at twenty, but. That kind of speaks to this class, you know. This class, uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't, it wasn't great up top, and uh, so no. Jackson's a really good player, man. He's got great feel. He can get open in the slot. He's pro ready. Has great catch skills. Can really, can really track it and get his hands around anything. Uh, really good adjuster. So no, it's a, it was a good pick. I mean, you come out of day one with the best defensive back in the draft and the best wide receiver in the draft. That's uh, it's a good day's work. Jim, if I told you that. Jackson will have a 10-year career as a solid slot wide receiver, but nothing more. Would that rationalize the selection at 20, do you think? Yeah, I mean, if he's catching, you know, 80 to 90 balls a year, which I think he easily could, absolutely. Okay. Um, I think I, I like him for the fit right now because it gives him really a complimentary skill set to lock and, 
in DK and, and, uh, you know, obviously those, you know, especially locks a little older now, but no, it's, it's a really good fit. It's a good fit for that group. Good. Really, really complimentary piece. Good to hear. Uh, Jim Nagy, executive director of the senior bowl in mobile, Alabama. Let's get to Jalen Carter. You just mentioned him and the temptation you wrote. And I thought it was very interesting that you didn't like his fit in Seattle, but you love his fit in Philadelphia. Expand upon that. And how many teams do you think removed him from the board entirely? I don't know if anyone took him off the board. I don't know if I talked, uh, if I spoke to any teams that took him completely off the board. I just think it was good that Seattle resisted the urge because I'm sure there was an urge there because that was a position of need. That's probably the biggest position they need going into the draft was interior defensive line. I thought they had a chance to maybe get it right with him if, because of Jaron Reed's presence. You know, I was there when they drafted Jaron, and I know Jaron really well. Um, if anyone can, you know, hold a young guy accountable and motivate him, it's it's Jaron. But I, I do think Philly's got a better chance just because they got all those Georgia guys. And, and my people in Athens say that Jalen really looked up to um, the guys they drafted last year. You know, Nicobe Dean and and uh, and Jordan Davis. So so they probably got a better chance than than uh, Seattle would have. And I'm 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 glad John and Pete stuck to their guns and, and took the high football character guys that love it because uh, I don't think that's Jalen Carter, and I, I don't think it would have worked. Jim, uh, do you worry at all about Carter from the standpoint that when I watch Georgia games, yeah, he was destructive when out on the field, but they had so many good defensive linemen that it seemed like a lot of guys in the rotation, and he spent as much time on the sidelines taking a break as he did on the field, or am I wrong about that? He's really talented, man. But I mean, you can't. You, I'll put it this way: like he, he wasn't a senior, so we never really, like really studied him because um, he was never going to be available to the Senior Bowl. But we've been watching that Georgia defense for two years now. We've had a lot of good players off that defense in the Senior Bowl, and the guy in this year's class that flashed more to me than Jalen Carter ever did last, going back to last summer, a year ago now, when we started in on this class, was Nolan Smith. And that's, I thought they might shock the world and take Nolan Smith at number five. So Ooh. to me, that's why I think Philly had such a great draft because Nolan Smith slid all the way to 30. But no, Nolan showed up more than, than Jalen Carter did. So, you know, Jalen's got an immense amount of talent in his body, but did it always show up on tape? No. And that's why uh, it would have been a scary pick at five. I, th- I think Seattle made the right move. Ten days ago, Jim, out here, the most controversial pick that the Seahawks made was again a running back in the second round a year after they did it with Kenneth Walker. They do it with the kid from UCLA, and they decide to pass on a starting center that was at your place in the Senior Bowl, maybe a starting defensive tackle or a defensive tackle that it could have been at least in the rotation. They take the running back that could complement Kenneth Walker. Too early? What would you think of that? Um, I mean, that's where I, I thought Charbonnet would go somewhere in that second, third round range. He's a good player, man. He's a really good player. I probably would have went center. I probably would have went John Michael Schmitz if it were me mm-hmm. um, and just lock that position up for two contracts and have a, a really high end starting center on the team. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to question why they do it. I understand why, you know, Pete likes running backs, you know, I mean, he, he likes having a stable of running backs and you, you saw Seattle got jammed up last year. You know, in a few games there where they're playing DJ Dallas and Travis Homer a bunch. And I mean, I mean, now Zach Charbonnet gives them a legit, I mean, this guy's a legit NFL starting running back. Now they've got two of them. And really, honestly, I mean, I, I put it on social media. 
um, the night of the draft when they took when they took Kenny McIntosh. We had a higher we had a higher grade at the Senior Bowl on Kenny McIntosh than we did on Zach Charbonnet. They were a top two rated running back. Wow! And uh, you know we don't have the benefit of the combine. So so Kenny didn't have a good spring. He didn't test great at the combiners pro day. Um, but if you put off the tape, put on the tape, and we had him graded similarly. It wasn't like a huge disparity, but we had a higher, higher grade on Kenny McIntosh. How often do these guys who test poorly at the combine and on his day bounce back to what we saw in college football? Would you say that's a, that's a minority or a majority? I mean, I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, I just remember when I was with the Seahawks and we, we like Nick Chubb and we got scared off by Nick Chubb's 40 time. And now uh, look at Nick Chubb, uh, you know, would you, would you like Nick Chubb on yeah. the Seattle Seahawks yeah. right now? I, yeah. I think you would. Um, <laughs> yeah. so we, we, we did a start. We, you know, we went back and did a study that year on all the running backs that ran, you know, four, six or slower coming out. And it's a who's who of the pro bowl over the last 30 years in the NFL. So, you know, Kenny teams got scared off by Kenny McIntosh running four, six, two. To me, that's their fault. Um, and Seattle got a really good player out of it. So mm-hmm. again, now they've got three guys. They've got three young guys, two rookies and a second-year player that uh, I think are all NFL starting running backs. So now you got to figure out touches for them, right? Yeah, yeah. you got to figure out roles for all these guys. But uh, it's a good problem to have. You uh, pointed out John Michael Schmitz, who a lot of us wanted. You also wrote very interesting and encouraging words about this Oluwatimi. You wrote, he's a player who outperformed my expectations during the Senior Bowl week, and it would not be surprising if he locked down the starting center job as a rookie out of the gate. You like him? Yeah. I mean, there's always a handful of guys that show up in Mobile a little better than I, I thought they were on the tape. Olu was one of those guys this year. So we had the Senior Bowl game. But about a month after that, went to the con- went up to the Combine. And I just floated from like sweet to sweet at the workouts for three nights and just like popped in on, on different teams and tried to get feedback on the senior bowl. And part of that, I, you know, I want to hear how our guys did. And, and uh, you know, at that time, it sounded like Olu might go on day two. So for them to, to circle back, you know, and, and get Olu in the fifth round, I think it's really good value. And, and, and again, he's, he's high end smart and intelligence and, all those things. And you talk to the Michigan people um, and I'm, that's where I went to school. I'm, 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 you know, have some, some tight connections there on the staff as does Steve Hutchinson mm-hmm. um, who does all the offensive line work for the Seattle Seahawks. So um, if anybody in the, in the national football league knows, Olu, it's Steve Hutchinson, trust me. Uh, when that guy goes into schools that they don't, they don't treat him like a normal NFL scout. They roll out the red carpet for a guy that's got a gold jacket. So um, they, know, they know Olu and they know what he brings to the table. So, yeah, I think, you know, Mo, you wouldn't say most fifth-round rookies have a chance to start, but uh, this is a case where I think Olu does. The defensive tackle Mike Morris also went to Michigan. What do you know about him? Yeah, he was, uh, he was a guy we could have had for the Senior Bowl. I was disappointed. Um, he declined the invite. I don't know what that was all about. I feel like he would have went higher in the draft had he come. You know, I think John alluded to it. You know, Mike's trying to figure out what he is. You know, he was a big edge player at Michigan. I don't think that's what he used, more of a stand-up player. I don't think he's going to be that in the league. I don't think he's athletic enough to be that guy. Although, you know, he, he didn't test great, so the spring hurt him a little bit. Um, that's why I feel like he should have went to the senior bowl. He's a good football player. And, and we accentuate football players in our game and, and uh, not all guys test great. Um, and so he didn't have a great spring in the testing. I think that knocked him down. Uh, when when he declined the Senior Bowl invite, people were talking about him as a top hundred pick, and and obviously he got pushed down from there. So um, good good football player though, man. Like he's got some pass rush to him. 
you know, he's got length and, and we'll see, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think they just got to sit a lot, settle on the fit, but there's uh, there's talent there. Yeah. Jim, all in all, I, I'm listening to you and it sounds like, although you're a little bit biased towards Seattle, you have a lot of fond thoughts for the organization here, but it sounds like you, you think they really help themselves. They, they are a better football team coming out of the draft than going in. How much ground did they make up on the 49ers or is that hard to quantify? Um, you know, they, they did. They, they, they had a really good draft. That's two in a row. And yeah, I'm a little biased. I mean, those guys are my friends, but um, I'll say this. They had, they've had two better drafts the last two years than any of the drafts I was a part of. Um, and that's because they, that's because they stuck to their guns, man. They, they, they drafted guys that, you know, we, every year we, we, we talked about what we wanted to be and, and who we wanted to be and those guys. And then, you know, we, we, we wavered from that sometimes. And, the, and those picks don't work out, man. Those picks don't work out. So they're stuck to their guns the last two years. They haven't compromised what they say they want to be. And, and I feel like these last two drafts have been great. Was Nick Chubb your biggest regret Regret while you were here? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's not it's not my place to say, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, he was a good player. Right. It's, it wasn't just me. I mean, yeah. we, we all liked him. Again, I got I got more respect for John Schneider and the job he does than, than any guy in the league, man. I mean, people I mean, people up there. I mean, they've won a lot of games. They've been spoiled a little bit. What he does in that building every day to uh, you know keep everyone motivated, make it a great place to work every day. Like that was a hard place to leave. I'm telling you, like that's a special building, and I've worked in a bunch of different buildings in the NFL, and that's that's because of John's leadership. He doesn't get enough credit for it. Jim, you've been always kind to Mitch Unfiltered, and uh, all of our audience appreciates you. Good job on the uh, on the Senior Bowl this year. Looking forward to next year's version and catching up with you. Thanks so much. <laughs> all right, Mitch. Thanks for having me back on, man. Zeke's Pizza has a new awesome app, which has made everyone's lives who order pizza better. Zeke's Pizza has new locations even outside of Washington State in Idaho. President Dan Black rejoins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Tell us more about Eagle Idaho, Dan. Yeah, Mitch, Eagle's been fun so far. It's opened with a bang down there. It's been fun having some unfiltered listeners check in from down there. We had, we had, we had one guy tell us that we were out of Hop Tropic on Twitter, and so I had to buy him a Hop Tropic the other night, which was fun, and he checked back in on Twitter. So that was, it's <laughs> the vast reach of Mitch Unfiltered is, you know, making its way down there. What you don't realize is, is that you weren't even out of Hop Tropic. He was just trying to get a free beer. That's what Mitch Unfiltered listeners are all about, Dan. <laughs> hey, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> It worked. (laughs) (laughs) I count 25 restaurants, now two states, and I know Oregon is next. It's amazing how the footprint has grown, Dan. I know I've asked you this before. Was this the master plan way back when, or did something change for you and your partners along the way? Well, it wasn't the master plan. When we started, you know, our founders, Doug and Tom, they basically wanted to live the ultimate Northwest lifestyle. They like to windsurf and ski Big Mountain Powder, and so they realized they were going to have to own their own business to do it. They're food guys. And, you know, at the time there wasn't any really great pizza in Seattle. And so filled the market need and weren't doing much other than wanting to be small business owners. And but it became apparent relatively early on that we kind of embodied the Northwest values and our roots were here. And it was pretty clear we were the Northwest pizza place pretty early on. And so we realized that at the very least could be Washington, Idaho and Oregon. And it's kind of fun, even though that vision's been around for a while, to kind of start to have it be realized geographically now. And what's the Black family ordering now that the weather is going to change, we hope, someday? And, and shine the spotlight on some beer for us. Yeah, you know, summer rolls around. We tend to get a little bit lighter on the pizza, so we end up going doing some veggie stuff like Super Marg and Quentin Florentino are good. I mean, 
we always order a lot of wood butcher and cherry bomb and Puget Pound are the favorites, but the veggie stuff kind of comes into play. And then the beer mm-hmm. I'm excited for this summer is we're going to do a re-rack of a popular one we did with Fremont Brewing last summer, uh, Z-Side Frozen IPA, a nice hoppy but light beer that's great for summer. And so not quite sure what date that's going to release, but it'll be a good summer drinker, and that's what I'll be keyed on. You got to download the brand new Zeke's Pizza app. It's better than ever. It is simple to get started and to order your pizza, your beer, right to your door. We love Zeke's Pizza. They've been an incredible sponsor and partner of Mitch Unfiltered, and they're homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Other Stuff segment, episode 238, Hot Shot Scott. Are you ready now? The aforementioned game that everybody's playing Yep. called Why Did Buda Baker Call Out the 13th Pick's Father on Twitter? <laughs> yes, I am ready. You ready for an answer? Yes. Well, because the father, turns out, was texting Buda Baker's girlfriend or wife, and he was none too pleased about that. No. That's not it? Similar vein. Really? Similar vein, yes. Okay. There's a video... You've seen the videos of all these players when they get drafted at their houses, oh, sure. surrounded by all their friends and family, and everybody's having a good old time, yep. and they get the call, and what happens? People go crazy. They go celebrate. Everybody yeah, yeah. goes nuts, right? Yep. Everybody starts high-fiving oh, each yeah. other, right? The guy's name is Luca Van Ness. I believe he's from Iowa. He was the 13th pick of the Packers, and they had that. That video of his living room, they're all sitting on the couch. He's sitting on the couch with his girlfriend and his mother and all the people behind him. And the Green Bay Packers select Luca Vaness and ah, the place goes crazy. Everybody starts hugging. At one point, the father hugs the girlfriend. Oh, no. And along comes a couple of taps. We've seen this before from horny dads who can't control themselves. What what game was it that we, national it was like we a have seen game? this before from horny dads. Yes, we have. So the video shows very clearly the father hugging the girl. The girlfriend gets up off the couch. Mm-hmm. She gives the father a hug. It's a G rated hug. And then as she goes to separate from the father, he gives her like a two pat on oh, the ass. God damn it. You have not seen this video. Buddha's the only one that copped everybody, this? No, everybody in the world now is asking, uh, yeah. is sharing their, oh, he copped a feel. Yeah. Or, oh, it was innocent. Come on. Everybody's rea- overreacting. It was a joyous moment. Yeah. You can be know. joyful and not tap your son's girlfriend on the butt, right? I mean, there's other ways to express your joy. I mean, so Buddha Baker says on Twitter, oh, no. okay, okay, okay. This is a quote. Look, if my dad touched my lady ass... <laughs> <laughs> on draft night or any other time, <laughs> I'm checking him. Yeah. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Especially if he's still with my mom. <laughs> right. That's a double. Quote, yeah. maybe that's just me, though. I didn't grow up with my pops, so maybe that's it. Uh-huh. Buda Baker calling out <laughs> Luca Van Ness's father <laughs> for the double fanny tap of the girlfriend after the hug. Now, who was the quarterback's dad? Remember the quarterback in like a, it was a playoff game, a college football playoff game. He did that kind of. Oh, that, yeah, in the stands. Like that weird Wait, like yes. move between the yes. cheeks, like he was swiping a debit card or something. It was like, he didn't. 
just, hey, it's time to celebrate. Where's oh. where's my son's girlfriend? Oh, here she is. Oh. Right through the. What is with these dads? Calm down, everybody. Good Lord. In what scenario is it okay to touch a female's butt anytime? In the workplace? Uh, right. Your son's girlfriend? Right. Your neighbor? It, when is it appropriate and, and harmless? It just never is. Right. Never. Yeah, it's creepy. Yeah. So now I can't wait to see it. <laughs> oh, these dads. Ugh. All right, my turn? Yeah, go. Your buddy Kevin Costner. Oh, yeah. On the market. Yeah. If anyone wants him, did he's it, single. Did I see that that the show was canceled over a divorce? Is that not right? Like the second season or third season? I don't know Yellowstone. What, Yellowstone? I, I've never seen Yellowstone. Apparently. One of the biggest shows out but there. But it's, it's now finished, right? Or something? Or they canceled the sequel or. I don't know about any of that. I thought something happened well, there to was the a, production of the show based on the divorce. There were, well, maybe. I mean, maybe I he had to take some wrong. time away. But there was maybe a rumor wrong. that he knocked up one of his coworkers. Oh, well, that's going to do it. Of course, he just completely denies it. It's complete bullcrap. But yeah, Kevin Costner is single after 18 years of marriage. And in fact, he was yeah. seen at Big Shots Golf in St. George, Utah. Yeah, I just saw the video. Hours after the story yeah. broke. So yeah. it, this this was one that might get kind of ugly because there is a prenup. Okay, she's been with him 18 years, but there is a prenup. He yeah. owns all three of their houses. Yeah. And she must vacate according to the document. Like he's making her vacate. Yeah. They got three kids. They both want joint custody. So yeah, this could be one of those ugly, drawn-out ones for Kevin. But he is single. If anyone wants him, he's yours. Go get him. Interesting decision by the Seahawks this past week, Hotshot. Okay. Declining the fifth option on your buddy Jordan Brooks. Did you see that note come across? It's too bad. I, I missed that because I, I told you I'm kind of friendly with his dad. So that really Oh, I don't sucks. know that. Yeah, I've mentioned it on the show before. You're kind of friendly with Jordan Brooks's dad? Yes. We text sometimes. We're like buddies. Now, how did that come across? Yeah, it's a work thing. I mean, really? Yeah, he's a great guy. So, so yeah, he's a he's a great guy. So Jordan I, Brooks's dad lives here in the Pacific Northwest. He doesn't, but he comes up sometimes and like will take care of like his car. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Or anything because he said Jordan's and he's at the facility fourteen hours a day. So when's he going to go get tabs or whatever you have well, to do in life, right? Well, you know how it works when you when you draft a guy in the first round. Automatic per the the labor agreement is you have the option of a fifth year. You've got a certain window of when you need to exercise that option, and the window was last week. The end of the window was last week. Okay. So he's coming into his fourth year. So he's going to play this coming year if he come, comes back from the, the real bad injury, the uh -huh. ACL injury. But they had to decide this past week, the predetermined number was like $13 million, like $12.8 million for the 2024 season. Okay. And they have the right to exit. They very rarely do it, if ever do it, for whatever reason. Maybe that, that's a sign of how good their first-round draft choices right, have been. Yeah. But he's been their leading tackler the last many years when he hasn't been hurt. I think he was second in the league in tackles one of those years, maybe first in the league in one of those years. He's been one of the top tacklers in all the National Football League, and they had to decide this past week with him being out with the ACL and their defense being in flux, do we want to guarantee him $13 million? Now, you might say, well, put it in its proper perspective, Mitch, because $13 million is just a number. Is it a big number or is it a little number? So I went to overthecap.com and I looked at all linebackers in the National Football League to see what they were making. Okay. And what I found is, now these are guys with big, co long contracts. This would obviously be a, a one-year, $13 million option for 2024. Right. I don't have guys on one-year deals. But I took the average salary per year of all these top linebackers in the league, 
and 13 million in 2024 would make him the seventh highest annual salary, average salary of linebackers in the National Football League, not including the edge rushers, just the straight linebackers like what he is. The middle linebackers, yeah. Middle linebackers, inside linebackers, outside linebackers that don't rush, okay. that are just kind of drop back guys. That's the perspective of 13 million. Okay. Seventh highest in 2024 as of today. So the Seahawks said, thank you, but no thank you. And then Pete Carroll went on one of the local radio shows. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. And they asked him about that. He said, no, 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 no. Don't take this as we're running from Jordan Brooks. Just because we didn't exercise his, four, his fifth year, he's going to be around for a long time as if to say we're going to do a long-term extension with him mm. rather than gotcha. pay him the one-year $13 million fee in 2024. What does your gut tell you? About what? Whether they should, whether they shouldn't, whether, whether they, they will. will. I think a lot is going to be determined. You hate to say this. He suffered a really serious injury. Yeah. And no one really knows until these guys get back on the field, maybe a year or longer later, whether they're the same player as before they were hurt. So I think the first thing that has to happen is he's got to come back at some point, like in the middle of the year, and show in the last few games, hey, I'm still a top tackler in this league and yeah. I can still help you. Let's assume he returns that medicine is good, his rehab is good, and he's the same Jordan Brooks as he was. I know he's kind of controversial in this town. There's a lot of people, a lot of Seahawks fans that don't love him. It's weird. For whatever reason. Right. They think he gets empty tackles. They think he pads his stats. They huh. don't think he's very good, whatever. But I think if he returns to the level that he was before the injury, I'd like to see him come back somehow, some way. I can't imagine that you're going to do much better yeah. by going to the free agent market or drafting a guy and rolling the dice on a new young guy. Right. Yeah, I'd like to see the Seahawks do an extension maybe after this year, but after this year, he'll become a free agent and free to sign anywhere he want, anywhere else he wants, and you know how that works. I and mean, he's proved he could play in the NFL. We would all agree to that at a pretty high level. And once he's exposed to the market – which now he will be at the end of this year. You don't have the extra year because you didn't pick up the option. Yeah. Once he's exposed to the market, all it takes is one team, right. the Jacksonville Jaguars, to say, oh, that guy's got a shitload of tackles the last three or four years. Let's go give him more money than the Seahawks are willing to give him. And then he's gone. Right. Kind of like they did with uh, Griffin. The, the oh, corner. Shaq. Yeah, Shaq Griffin. So. And I will say that tearing your ACL in 1983, not different. the same as it is in 2022, right? Completely I mean, different. didn't Adrian Peterson tear his ACL, then lead the league in rushing the following season or something like that? Pretty close. Sure, yeah. I mean, he bounced Guys back. Guys from back, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I wouldn't give up on Jordan Brooks. Yeah. From what his dad says, he's the hardest worker on the team. So, we'll see. <laughs> but he's not biased. Hey, what about your uh, your buddy, Bronny? Bronny, LeBron Yeah, Jameson? USC. Wow. How about that? Is going Le to USC. Is LeBron going to be walking around the corridor at Heck Ed? I mean, um, is there any chance we'll see him at Heck Ed? There's a chance. Yeah. He might be busy. He might be playing NBA basketball at the time. Yeah. It's a two-hour flight, He's got man. a job. He's he got does. a job to do. The question is, will we see him kind of running out onto the court at USC <laughs> in the middle of timeouts <laughs> oh, of course to high-five people? Because, you know, he's one of those guys who goes to his son's AAU Ugh, games and yeah. then comes out on the floor I and know. chest bumps the other players on the team and gets all excited and, you know, carries on. He gets a, in the warm-up line, for yeah. God's sakes. I mean, yeah, that's right. He, dunking in the warm-up line. Warm line yeah. Which doesn't, I'm not a big fan of, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool, though, to have him in the pack. I wonder if – you remember when Pete Carroll was at USC? It was kind of a star-studded, like Snoop was hanging around. And yeah. 
I wonder if that's going to be the way now at USC basketball with Bronny. What if, well, what he if, won't be there for long if you believe all the hype. He'll be there for exactly one year, and then he'll be in the NBA. But he's only the 21st overall player in the class. Not that that's bad. That's, you know, that's McDonald's All-American. Sure, yeah. 21st overall player. But when was the last time the 21st best player of a high school class in the country got as much pub as this? No- he's the number five combo guard in America. <laughs> right. And the other four combo guards that are ahead of him are going, hey, what about, what about me? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm the number no one combo no, guard. No, no one's even paying attention that I'm going to Duke. <laughs> right, no one's exactly. even mentioned that I'm going to North Carolina. I'm going to do it right here to get famous. I'm number one, for God's sakes. I scored 40 on him in an right. AAU game. <laughs> no what shit. about me? That's funny. Yeah, yeah, so Bronny's going to USC instead of Ohio State and Oregon. Okay, have you seen the story of the Alabama baseball coach no tell the me betting scandal are you following oh, the geez. betting scandal of the alabama base so let me get this straight you know about nashville's hotel break-in to suck on toes that i know yes but you didn't know the buda baker story and you don't know the alabama baseball betting scandal you're talking sports now right these are yeah. sports is that was that what this is <laughs> thanks very much yes i don't know would you like to hear of course i think this is the tip of the iceberg Oh, as as sports gambling becomes more and more accepted and accessible, accessible, they're partnering up with the NFL. They're in major league ballparks. They're going to be in NFL stadiums. They're partnering up with the NBA. Everybody's embracing now sports gambling. I think these type stories that I'm going to share with you are going to be not so few and far between. Okay. Alabama last week is playing LSU. Okay. And all of a sudden, in the state of Ohio, in particular at the Reds ballpark, the sports book in the Reds ballpark, and in the state of Indiana, the sports books notice some unusual <laughs> wagering. Oh, at- I love this. I love this. Yeah, when there's a big spike for some reason. There was some- a big spike. <laughs> Dummies. Some unusual large <laughs> wagers on a regular season SEC baseball game. Right. And the money was coming in. And here's the important part. The money was coming in on LSU. Okay. There were two large bets in Cincinnati. There were some other large bets in some other cities in Ohio. There were a couple of large bets in Indiana. And what all of these, I don't know, whoever runs these places did is they they froze the game. No more wagering on Mm -hmm. the game. The game goes off. The money was on LSU. These big bets were on LSU. The game goes off and LSU wins. Okay. We find out, ready for this, Yeah, that the dude that was making the bets in the Cincinnati Reds ballpark Mm -hmm. was literally on the phone with the Alabama head coach as he's walking in to make the bet. Wow. The Alabama head coach, a guy by the name of Brad Bohannon, had just scratched his ace pitcher from the game because of a bad back. He scratches his ace pitcher, puts a new pitcher in. Yeah. Now he's on the phone with this dude in Cincinnati telling him to go bet on the other team. Unreal. The guy goes, place two major bets, LSU wins. (laughs) What a dummy. And he got caught. He got caught. That's unbelievable. He has been fired. Uh, I'm sure, yes. Brad Bohannon is no longer the head coach of the Alabama Crimson. Hey, I just scratched our our, our starter. Go, go make a bet for me. I'll tell you, this kid, he sucks. He's he's no good. (laughs) I I didn't even want him on the team this year. LSU's going to kick his ass. 
Like, how much money are we talking? Like, do we know? Did they give any no, numbers? I have or? not seen numbers. Enough to have a red flag, though. All I know is the name of the pitcher was Luke Coleman. He was the one that was scratched. He's the ace of the Alabama pitching staff. And as soon as he was scratched, there's literally video and proof that Brad Bohannon was on the Gosh. phone with the gambler, with the wagerer, as he was walking. Couldn't they talk to to each other when the guy was in his car? <laughs> yeah, right. I know, right? Or maybe walking outside in, the yeah. stadium. They've got, like, video of him talking to the guy in the sports book, getting oh. ready to make the bet. It's so hard to be a criminal and get away with it these days. You just can't. Every call you make, everything's videotaped. You can't get away with anything. That's unbelievable. But you're saying you you think there's probably that's been going on for a while. It's going on everywhere, and he just got caught. I think it's going to be – we're going to see stories like this. Yeah. I mean, we've already started to see stories like the wide receiver for the Falcons, Calvin Ridley, got suspended for a year. Remember that? Yep. He was making bets down in Florida somewhere. Where, where, yeah. This is going to be something that happens in all the sports from time to time. People are going to lose jobs. People yeah. are going to get fired. People are going to get suspended. Players are going to be involved. Now, I will say that it's been it's been documented that no player knew anything about this. Yeah. No player on Alabama. No player at LSU. This was strictly the head coach. <laughs> That's all. Trying to make a few extra bucks. <laughs> a few extra bucks. <laughs> The and greed. In so, and in so doing, he gave up his entire salary. Unreal. And his job and probably his career. Right. I hope he put a lot down on that effing <laughs> game that cost him his life. I hope he can live off the 10 grand he put down on the game. Oh. In the wake of Jerry Springer's passing, yes. Nosy, it's a Pluto TV channel where folks can watch Jerry's show. They ran a bunch of episodes after his death, and there, there was so much interest. Yeah, Viewership across the platform doubled. I saw this. People can't get enough of Springer's Jerry, show. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. So they, they say tens of thousands of folks. Folks tuned in to watch the drama unfold on the rerun, spending 33% more time on the app than usual. So, yes, he's still got life. There was a report this week, Hotshot, that Tom Brady was having second thoughts about doing the broadcast thing after his playing days now are over. Okay. You recall he signed a 10-year how-many-million-dollar deal? Yeah, I can't remember. $375 million every penny guaranteed. $37.5 million a year to broadcast games for Fox while well, a report came out from somebody I actually trust on the New York Post. He's been on the show before, Andrew Marchand, that said that Brady was having second thoughts because he didn't really want to commit to traveling every week for 16 weeks. He wanted to be around his kids. He wanted to do other sure. things with his business. After a life of that. And, yeah. and, and my first reaction was, wouldn't it be nice to be able to walk away from a $375 million <laughs> exactly. deal because you don't feel like traveling? Right. Yeah. I don't want to go stay at the Four Seasons for a couple of days in in New York and broadcast a game and get paid $37.5 million a year for yeah. the next 10 years. Until your wife because, comes because in I, the room. Because, because I'm because I'm I'm not really into traveling. I yeah, just want to hang out. Sucks. Yeah. Until Sharon comes in the room, you're gonna get your ass on that plane <laughs> and you're gonna go make that effort check right now. <laughs> I mean, now I will crazy. say that Tom Brady's responded to the report. Bullshit. Okay. He's called bullshit on it. He said he's fully intending on fulfilling his God. his deal with Fox and becoming their number one NFL commentator next year. Well, well I mean, how do you think he's going to do? Are you? I'm actually very curious to turn on. I will turn on Fox's first Tom Brady game. Yeah. No matter who's playing, it'll be two good teams, just to see what he's going to be like. First of all, as a, as a couple guys sitting here who broadcasted a little bit in their life, yeah, it, Tom Brady got a 4.0 at the Syracuse School of Broadcasting. I mean, right, it all paid off for him. $33 million a year. 
I said 37 oh, and a sorry. half. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to shortchange you. Yes, you did four and a half million short. Without a second no. of broadcasting training. No. That's unbelievable. No. I can't get over that part, first of all. Well, he has Tony Romo to thank, and he's got Troy sure. Aikman. All these guys are making 20, 25 million or something. You know, I told Some you I'm crazy friends. Amount of I'm friends with the guy that trained Romo. Now I got to text him and see if he's training Tom Brady. <laughs> well, I, I, with the way he's trained Romo, I don't think anybody else is hiring him because everybody's mad at Romo. It was a good three years or four years. Well, yeah. he should be training him longer. <laughs> everybody's bitching and moaning about Romo, that, right. he's, not, that he's not prepared. Uh, you can, what do you do, train him not to prepare for the show, not to do any homework? Was that his training? You can lead a horse to water, as they say. You can't make him drink. No, you can't. Savelle Smalls, ever heard of him? Yes. How do, do I know, you know that name? Yeah. Kennedy High School five-star oh, right. recruit You've with Sam Heward. Yeah. yeah. Went to the University of Washington with Sam Heward. Both yeah. five stars. One guy was a quarterback. One guy was a dominant defensive player. Both guys now have transferred. It didn't work out for either five-star recruit at Washington. Yeah. Heward has gone to like Cal Poly. Jeez. And Savelle Smalls is going to prime time. Prime time. I'm taking a well-deserved bow. Prime time. He's going to be a problem. Cherry, cherry, <laughs> cherry. This is a lack of writers. We've got no writers. That's right. I'm yes. doing the best that I can, folks. I'm telling you, he's going to start getting a lot more of these guys. All right, you did Bronny James. I don't know. Do I want to talk about Joel Embiid being the NBA MVP, the, despite the fact that I don't really watch a lot no, of basketball? Because I, I feel like that the other guy should have won it again for the third straight year, the guy in Denver, the unathletic guy in Denver. He's pretty good. Have you watched that guy, Jokic, play? Yeah, he's pretty good. You watch Denver play, and and look, I, I don't even deserve to have an opinion because I have seen that little of probably both guys. Mm -hmm. And I know Embiid's really good. But you watch Jokic play a game yeah. and all the things he does, and Denver pretty much wins every time I'm watching anyway. And I just wonder, was there like Jokic fatigue amongst the voters? The voters just decide it's boring to, to give the same guy the MVP three years in a row, so we'll just make Embiid the MVP. Probably. I know Embiid's good, but I can't imagine yeah. that anybody's more valuable than this guy yeah. that I'm watching. And he's just... He's just an awkward-looking fellow. Right. <laughs> yes, he got the big schnoz like oh. I do. His face is always red. Yeah. His walk, his gait is not very cool. Nothing about him is, like, cool. Yeah. He's not suave at all. No, he's not but he slick. Just, just gets the job done. He's a beast. Gets the yeah. job done. Anyway. Are you going to talk about the Oakland A's announcer? Yeah, oh, that one? yeah. I, I didn't put it in there, but I know the story. He's been suspended indefinitely for a, a slang, the use of a slang word, right? Is it Glenn Kuyper? Yes, Glenn Kuyper. He's been there for 20, 25 years. Long yeah, time. Yeah, he's been Oakland there. Oakland A's announcer. Yeah. That's right. So he copped to a mistake he made during a pregame segment ahead of the game against the yes. Royals. When yes. He used the N-word, apparently. He thinks that's a word people use in 2023. And uh, he was on camera before it kicked off, and he was describing what he and the A's broadcasting team had gotten into earlier in the day, including visiting the Negro League's baseball museum and hitting up a barbecue hotspot in the town. The problem right. is, instead of saying Negro, he said another word and uh, came across very clearly on the airwaves without anyone bleeping or censoring it whatsoever. And so eventually... But he, he says he, it was a slip of the tongue. He didn't, he didn't say that. That it just <laughs> sounds like he said that. Okay. Well, or that's something probably like what that. I would say too if I were him. Yeah. Nonetheless, it's like, yeah, he's suspended for that. It just... When I read that story, I was like, Really? Really? You really thought that was something we could do? Okay. A more uplifting story? Yes. The 100th hundredth, hundredth birthday of Holocaust survivor Helen Kahan. Okay. She throws out the ceremonial first pitch at Tropicana Field wow. on Friday before the Tampa Bay Rays and New York Yankees game. 100 years old. 
born in Romania. Kahan and her family were taken to Auschwitz, the death camp. The rest of her family, all of them, all of them killed, murdered. She told Spectrum News her preparation for Friday was the first time she'd thrown a pitch in her entire life. It's crazy. Her quote was, but the more I do it, I practice here, the more better I am. <laughs> Good for her. I did not have time to do it, but now I'm doing it. And there's highlights of her getting oh. out of the wheelchair at 100 years old and throwing the first pitch in Tampa for the Rays and the Yankees. That's inspiring. Very inspiring. First time she's thrown a baseball. Is that what first you... time she's thrown a baseball when she was prepping for the first pitch. Not so inspiring as the former Raiders wide receiver, Henry Ruggs. Oh, you have that story. Yeah. Remember, 156 miles an hour no drunk. Sure, yeah. He hit the car in front of him. The woman, young woman, 23, and the dog died yep. because the, the car went up in flames. And uh, he has decided that he will plead guilty to a DUI resulting in death and a misdemeanor charge of vehicular manslaughter. He is looking at three to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty. Talk about a waste of a life right there, right? I mean, you make which the one, NF, which, well, yeah. Which one? Right, I mean, all three, I guess. But, I mean, one decision like that. I mean, you're in the NFL, you make it, and wow, now you're going to be in prison. It's unbelievable. He lost everything. He lost everything. It's just sad, sad, and sad all the way to. I thought you had uplifting ones. You got mad at me for. I got okay. Uplifting. Here's an uplifting one. <laughs> Jesus. Because this is right up your alley. John Bon Jovi was asked this week. Yeah. Who are the five best guitarists? Let's Ooh. play a little game. Let's play another little game. Three games. You're one. You're one and one. Who did John Bon Jovi mark as the best five guitarists he's ever seen? He's ever play? seen. Is that? Is, is that an important part? or No, no. Okay, no. who he's ever heard, maybe? Yeah, his best five okay. guitarists of all time. Everyone says Hendrix. Is Hendrix on the list? Yes, he's okay. one of the five, but not number one. Okay. He listed number one, and then he listed who the other, who would round out the top five. But he didn't do it in order, he, except for number one. He, he's got he's got Hendrix in the starting lineup, okay. but not the MVP. You might be a little uh, bummed out about Jeff Beck lately. Is Jeff Beck in there? Number one. There you go. Yeah. How'd I do? Not bad, huh? Well, you got one. You got one, and then the others are some fellow named Jimmy Page. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Um, dire Straits. Mark Knopfler. Oh, Mark Knopfler. Yeah, he's a beast. Really? Absolute beast. So you yeah. play guitar? I don't know. I thought I just brought this in for you. I figured that you would. And then who's the other one? It. Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. I told you, Hendrix, Jimmy yeah, Page. Me oh, I guess I gave you four. He only gave us four. Jeff Beck, Hendrix, Jimmy yeah. Page, and Mark Knopfler. It's a hell of a list, right there. Is it? You can't, you can't go wrong with that. I thought he was going to say Richie Sambora was number one. No. Who I love, who has been in, who, you know, they were in a band together called Bon Jovi. You might have heard of it. Yeah. So I was going to be a little irritated. Who did he marry? Richie Sambora. Heather Sambor Locklear for a while. Heather Locklear. I think. I think she went from Tommy Lee to Richie Sambora, I think. That was, anyway, yeah. Yeah. But he's not in Bon Jovi anymore. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be annoying putting him number one. But that's a good list. I'll and then it. I have some rest in peace to not only individuals, but... A very, very, at one time, profitable company, but you go first. It's not a rest in peace, but it feels like this Jamie Foxx thing <sighs> might be bad. What's going on? So he remains hospitalized more than three weeks after suffering a medical medical emergency. Nobody's saying what it is. Those closest to him say he needs all the prayers and well wishes his fans yes. can muster. Yes. He has sent out a message. He sent out a message this week. He did. He, yeah, I saw it on that Twitter or Instagram yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. Feeling blessed or something. But yeah, I'm here. I'm feeling blessed. And they're I'll see like, you guys soon. They've already replaced him on his TV show that he does, Beat Shazam, I think it's called. Which Don't know is what that is. Great idea. You know the app Shazam on your phone? 
If you if you just if you want yeah, to know what a song, song is, is you, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, they're replacing him on that, and it's like this. Ooh, this sounds. He's with us still, but this sounds worse than I think we all thought at first. So well, yeah. Well wishes to Jamie Fox. All right, you got rest in pieces. R.I.P. to the Jenny Craig Diet Centers going out of business. Kind of glad actually. After four decades. Yeah. The decision comes less than a week after Bloomberg reported that the company had about $250 million of debt and was considering bankruptcy filing. If efforts to find a buyer for its assets failed, Jenny Craig was founded in 1983. You want to take a guess at who founded it? Oof. Bob Johnson. That's correct. Thank you. Bob Johnson yep, yep. founded Jenny Craig. 500 weight loss centers in the United States. 500 weight loss centers in the United States and Canada. Millions of successful Jenny members closing up shop. Millions, though, really? That's what she says. That's what she that's says. What they, that's what they say. Those places really bother me. I don't know why. I don't feel like they're they want to help people. I think they want to. I think they're the, they're in the food service industry. All they want to do is sell you their cockamamie meals. That's what they're. And in they don't for. work. But what happens when people fail? They don't blame Jenny Craig. They blame themselves, and then they re up. Oh, I could have tried harder. It just feels Look at scammy, you. those places. Look at you dancing on Jenny Craig's grave right now. Well, she didn't die, did she? No, but the company's out. You're <laughs> All right, dancing well, on the on the closing mm, of the company. Not a fan of those places. Anyway, Sorry. Gordon Lightfoot, 84. We sang his songs. Yep. I got world champion sprinter and three-time Olympic medalist Tori Bowie. Do you know that story? Yeah, I saw that. Age Bummer. 32 in Winter Garden, Florida. We don't know the cause of death yet. Yeah. Three times a medalist in the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. Mike Shannon, you might know that name, probably don't. Sounds kind of familiar. He's the longtime voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. He was 83 years old, caught all those big home runs of Mark McGuire and Albert oh, Pujols. Okay. Get out! Get out! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he was the once the Missouri High School Player of the Year in both football and basketball. He's been, he's been known in the St. Louis area by some as the greatest high school athlete in St. Louis high school athletics history Ooh, that ain't he nothing. had a nine-year major league career but he's most known as being the voice of uh the cardinals i've also got a couple of more nick gilbert mm, i don't know that name do you remember the son of dan gilbert the cleveland cavaliers owner who would go to the draft lottery when they would do the ping oh, pong yeah. balls I remember him with yeah. the, the little kid with the glasses oh yeah who yeah. got that he was their good luck charm yep. he was the son he passed away at the age uh, of 26. He was a he suffered from a genetic condition since childbirth, 26 years old. So they're grieving the Cavaliers owners, Dan Gilbert and his wife, Jennifer, the loss of Nick Gilbert at age 26. And then Vita Blue. Do you know Vita Blue? The yeah, name Vita Blue? I have Vita Blue. 73 years old, a hard throwing left hander. He was uh, one of the more flamboyant left-handed pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. He had one year that was to die for, 24-8, and 1.82 ER. Listen, listen to this year. In 1971, Hotshot, yep. he was both the American League Cy Young Award winner and the American League Most Valuable Player. All he did was go 24-8, and eight, as I mentioned, <laughs> a 1.82 ERA, 301 strikeouts. How many complete games do you think he had? Oh God, who knows? 24 complete Jeez. games, eight of them shutouts. <laughs> That's pretty good. And a partridge in the pear no tree. No kidding. 1971, the always colorful and named that way, Vita Blue, and he's the answer to a lifelong trivia question, the last switch hitter to win the MVP. He happened to be a switch hitter when he batted. 
by the way. He was Jeez. a switch hitter, and people would never come up with the name Vita Blue. Well, you had to know that trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last switch hitter to win the MVP is Vita Blue, 73 years old. I don't know if you know the name Lance Blanks. Yes. Former uh, Texas. Did he go to Texas? Yep. He was a legend Played in there. the NBA. Yeah, had yeah. a minute with the Pistons. But yeah, then he came but back. he was in the front was office, yeah. Front office yeah, guy. He passed yep. away. My age, 56, yep, my 56 age, years yep. old. Yeah. Um, let's see, I'm on my phone now because my computer died because I'm not prepared. Oh, sorry. And I don't have any more RIPs. That's, That's it. it. But do you have, without the, the writers, with the writers <laughs> Oh, you're going to see it, yes. Do you have any uh, headlines you'd like to take us out with? Officials in New Jersey found an estimated 500 pounds of cooked pasta near a river basin. Good Lord, even the rivers in New Jersey are Italian? <laughs> All right, Tennessee man plans to sue uh, after waking up in his hotel room with his toes in the mouth of a 52-year-old hotel oh, manager named I've, David Neal. I've had this one. David was arrested and claims he smelled smoke in the room and sure did, did what any of us would do in that situation. He gave the guest toes mouth to mouth. <laughs> Gotta help out the toes. A man was discovered bound with ropes with pantyhose over his head atop a deer hunting platform in the woods in Germany Uh-oh. after a sex game went awry. Uh. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If standard relations with a consensual adult still works for you, thank your lucky stars every night. You don't need to be tied up with ropes, pantyhose over your head on a deer hunting platform in the woods in Germany just to get yours. Must be exhausting. It's more of a comment, really. All right, and finally, a couple vacationing in Australia had to call professional snake catchers to their room after accidentally vacuuming up a venomous snake. Oh. Imagine how horrifying that would be. Vacuuming on vacation. Vacuuming? Who the hell vacuums on vacation? That one. Hold on, I want to say something to the writers that are picketing. Yeah, oh God! Settle this thing fast. <laughs> Here's a check. <laughs> Settle this thing fast. He's going oh, down the God. toilet for God's sakes. Author Bill Bryson. You, you need read? your professional writers That's back. That's true. I know. You ever read Bill Bryson? He's kind no. of a funny no. writer. He did a book called um, "In a Sunburned Country" about Australia. I can't remember the number, but it was like something like fifty thousand different species in Australia can kill you. I mean, it's just like it uh, never ends in that freaking continent or country. So <laughs> venomous snakes, spiders, sea monsters. Uh, Crazy. Anyway. There you all go. right. That's it. Episode 238. We need the writers back. Yeah. Uh, more lion. I Woo. swear we'll try to do better the next time. Episode 238 is in the books. Go cracking. Go cracking.